they didn't spend a lot of time and money advertising it. It was like, this is what we can do. Like we've listened to our people and this is what we can do. And then those people that they listened to all went 40 grand, fuck off. (laughs) Right. I can buy an entry level bagger, rattle can it, put some T bars on it and have it pretty damn cool. Like, and I think that's one of the issues that they're obviously facing. Yeah. Hey, if you were wondering, this is episode 108 of Creative Writing. <laughs> it's 108 already? Yeah, stick around. Damn, it feels like 100 was so last I know. week. It was a big deal, huh? All right, let's uh, get through this intro music. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to the show today. My name is Rick James. I'm having a big art show in Oceanside, California. Come on down. It'll be on Saturday the 24th at Legacy Brewery. There's going to be tons of food, bands, other artists, and myself. Come on down. We're going to have great food, local craft beer. Again, Saturday the 24th, Legacy Brewing, 363 Airport Road, Oceanside, California, 92058. Come on out. And you can fix it. Here I am. I'm recording. <laughs> <laughs> now I gotta find it. Um, hey everybody. Hey, that was Rick Ortiz. By the way, go check out Legacy Brewing, February 24th. It's gonna be here faster than you know it. It's already almost January 24th. Can it's you very much that? almost January 24th? Yeah. So wowza, wowza. Um, so what were you going to say about, uh, Nate's bike? We're going to have a little segment for you coming up <laughs> later where we're going to roast another bike, uh, before we- I heard his bike already got roasted though by this celebrity motorcycle racer. Oh, sweet. Um, I do, as we talk about Nate though, um, he's check out Nate Bickham Instagram. It's the letter N, the number eight B I C C U M. He is, uh, giving away an illustration. Yeah. Uh, I personally have an illustration from Nate of myself going down the front stretch of Streets of Willow and full kind of tuck on the Dyna. And uh, I think I have one on order of little Jasper, but so I was going to sit out of the contest and let someone else win it. I don't want to play favorites. <laughs> I entered. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but check out his Instagram um, and you can enter for, you know, he's just like, hey, everyone, thanks for the support. And he's giving away one of his uh, illustrations. So... God, yeah. Check that out and enter and get the guy a good turnout. Yeah. What you do is you go to the hashtag Nate, which is N8, um, illustrate. You pick your favorite uh, illustration that he's done. You repost it and tag three of your friends um, with that hashtag. And you could win your chance to have either yourself or a friend illustrated by the one and the only we talked about him a lot at Twisted Throttles. His work was awesome. And if you need proof, go on over to Nate Bickham or Nate Illustrate on Instagram. Check it out. Win yourself an awesome little drawing. Uh, Nate, your bike's going to get it later, buddy. Oh, man. <laughs> Heard that guy read the Dyna. Yeah. Hey, listen, <laughs> I'm dying to roast it. Um, so, hey, listen, I wanted to do some follow up stuff with the Wigmeister. We're going to get into. That was in- pretty punny. Yeah. We're going to get into. Uh, I got. I was practicing all week. After last week, I really had to practice a little <laughs> bit. Um, we did have some actual follow up from. Uh, 
God, I think Wingman's Garage was like they got in on it too. I saw it. Like, they commented oh, on the couple yeah, thing. He got a Triumph Rocket Three because he couldn't afford a Modus, and he's blind. <laughs> I thought that was like the kicker. Andy's blind. I can't. I can't afford a Modus either. But yeah. <laughs> Andy's blind. Yeah, I thought it was like, oh, that's so rad. Um, so yeah, we got some follow up uh, emails from the past couple weeks. I guess you know, last week we were talking about Matt at uh, my my motorbike obsessions. He's the one that emailed you and uh, the Ask Wiggins yeah, about asking some about track. some flat track. And he had the uh, an eye on a little bike. I forget exactly what it was on Craigslist, but he said uh, somebody swooped in and got it. And he's like, you know, people on Craigslist can be dicks. That's a direct quote from him, and I 100% agree. Uh, eBay I'm is even worse. right with him. <laughs> Craigslist is like, a, one, if you're looking for a bike on Craigslist, have cash ready. Like, mm. ready to go. As soon as you see it, you hit the dude up or mm. lady and mm-hmm. go and take right. cash. He says it was a 77 DT250. Man, those are some sweet. Uh, yeah. That's a piece of history right there from Yamaha. And I always like, I lowball them and I'm like, I'm, I can leave my house right now. None of the, stop, you will be done dealing with Craigslist if you sell it to me right now. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> That's uh, he says he lives half hour from Paula, so he's gonna keep his eye out for a flat track project and maybe get a dirt bike for a little bit. So he's gonna be doing that. Um, you know what? My my suggestion is get a vintage because then you, it crosses over. They kind of just use vintage flat track bikes <laughs> yeah. as uh, dirt track bikes back in the day. You can always do some Hell and Wheels events too. Exactly. That was exactly what I was thinking of. Um, so yeah, that was, that was one that I thought we should follow up with a little bit. Also the motorcycle men podcast, me and him, uh, me and Ted over there, we emailed back and forth. He thought he hurt my feelings. I don't have any feelings or else he would have hurt them. But, uh, yeah, we were talking a little bit about stuff and he finally shot back. I I told him we're going to kick his ass in the podcasters challenge this year. And he's like, yeah, yeah, you're hit quote, you are allowed to dream and hallucinate end quote. Right. Ted, um, I, I, I don't know what it looks like when an 82 year old man cries, but I'm going to find out <laughs> when I make you cry this year. I didn't think after going through the world war, they cried anymore. Mm, yeah. I don't know. And, and Ted, he might be uh, 46, but he just looks 82. We'll find out. Uh, but anyway, he says, I love you guys talking sportster. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Aside from my own show, I never hear anyone else talking about sportsters at all. Junk, take a lesson from the wig, get a sportster and have some fun. <laughs> you know, I am like I'm like ninety-nine percent sure I'm selling my dining to get a sportster, by the way. Yeah. Hey, sportsters are where it's at, man. Or the streets, actually. We 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 may talk about this a little bit later in the show because uh I'm I mean I've always liked sportsters and I'm currently doing um some street stuff at work and I've been looking at it going it has potential. I'm not going to say that they're the best bikes, but the fact that they're uh, a 750 and they've tried to do some stuff with it, I think it has about as much potential as your Dyna for like a track bike. Obviously, you can't, you know, the shred pegs and all that stuff that the, everyone's doing make the Dynas trackable. And I think you could do some stuff with I think the street. With the street rod, you could do some good stuff. That's what yeah. I'm talking about. Yeah. It's a little bit different than the street. Yeah. So yeah, uh, that's awesome. Before we get into all that stuff, I know that we were we were talking here forever. We might even um, get into some stuff that Snapatap Rostin uh, sent us, or you know something that might interest him later. But I don't want to get into that quite yet. I want to find out. Both you and I did some pretty cool stuff this weekend. And we 
we both had a busy motorcycle weekend. Really busy, right. And uh, I always go first, and I know I always, <laughs> I always steal the limelight, so I'm going to let you go first. And let's hear about the Veggie Plate Classic. And before you even say anything, I can't believe the smiles I saw on the people's faces in the pictures that I saw, including Rusty Butcher, who always puts on the guise of being like a badass, <laughs> tough guy that says, fuck <laughs> you and eat shit to everybody. Yeah, That kid had a smile on his face like he was 15 years old again. And uh, that big Andre the Giant-looking guy that he was hugging had a big smile on his face, too. Like, it was a rad... It looked like it was such a fun event. So, <laughs> so how'd it go? The guy on top of the podium? Yeah, exactly. Andre the Giant guy? Oh, man, Spencer won't be stoked on that one. Um, it actually, like, it went really, really well. We... So... We tried some things, and the reason, so I guess it, maybe I should tell everyone why it's called Veggie Plate Classic. So the, uh, when the let's hooligan... Get in, let's get into the history of it here, because <laughs> I, I wondered too. A lot of people, like most people have no idea, and it's one of those, like if you know it was super rad, but like six people there knew, and uh, the other 20 didn't. But um, when we like first started, and there was like six or five or four of us going to the track, because that's all there was, like someone would always bring like a veggie plate and it was like never fail. Like we'd all come in from like a practice session and sit there and meal on a veggie plate. And to me it was like the most like, you know, like we're these like tough Harley riders flat tracking our sporties. Like, and then we come in and have some broccoli and ranch dressing. So it just kind of like fit because one, most people didn't know, but to me it was like, it was just a representation of like where it started. Um, and I heard a lot of chatter and uh, a lot of other people like commented to me later that they heard the same chatter that like so many people that have been doing it for a long time said it was, it was like when we first started, like it was fun. It was just, it was kind of, it wasn't like low key, but it was like less serious and it was a good time. And everyone was super excited about that. Uh, so yeah, everyone was super excited and the smiles for days, man, like, Everyone yeah. in the pits. Um, we did uh, one thing we tried, so I didn't have a lot of time, so I couldn't do three different classes like I prefer. So what I did was called handicap starts. So um, the new and the slower guys were like right up front. Some of the new guys that were faster were back like 20 yards. Some of the guys that I knew were kind of fast, they were back like 40. And then like myself and uh, Fast Jay and Spencer and Butcher were all back on the 60. And uh, basically like... You know, when the tapes went up, plus the guys in the back were a little better starters, <laughs> and some of them were a little quicker than the tapes. Even though they a couple started times. like sixty yards back, they whole shot. Yeah. <laughs> One guy did, and it was he looked at the he looked at the light and took off, and the light goes with speedway. The light turns green, and then you look at the tapes. Oh, so he shit. had a so really he, big yeah, run. yeah, yeah. He was already in like second gear by the time <laughs> the tape went up. He was. He had a head of steam, but um. <laughs> You know, so everyone's like basically in a group by turn one, but what it does, it puts the fast guys at the back. And I, you know, I told everyone, I'm like, look, there's nothing on the line to win this. Let's not send anyone to the hospital because anyone gets ran over. Um, I was actually like kind of nervous, but you know, the new guys I felt like were pretty patient. They weren't, um, you know, yeah, they were going at it. They were having a good time, but they weren't, there wasn't that many crashes and there was definitely no like big pile up, big crashes. So that was super good, especially after the last race we did that had one. It we, wasn't we Bolsa Chica times two, yeah. right? So that was cool. And then, 
it just like it worked out. And, you know, we saw the podium. It was Brad Spencer, um, Rusty Butcher, and Fast J. And I was not even close. But honestly, like someone asked me about it, which one I, I rode a bike I was unfamiliar with just because I want seat time on the XG. Um, but, you know, it's like someone asked me, they were like, oh, I'm so used to seeing you like further up front. And I was like, you know, when I like promote and I do these events, like I really had little desire to race that hard. I was like, when I looked at the pits and there were 25 bikes and there were, I don't know how many fans just for us. And there were a lot of fans anyway, but you know, we could see all the people that came and they were in the pits just for the hooligans and they wanted to see us and the Speedway fans stuck around to watch us, which I heard was unusual. Usually like they run the Speedway main before the other mains because the track's better. And if it's sidecars and stuff, he said like 75% of the fans get up. And he's like, dude, like five people got up. And it was just, it was, there were more people out at Paris Flat Track than I think I've ever seen. Um, so that was like all super cool. But yeah, so someone said something. And I was like, you know, I already won. Like I've got 25 riders. I could have had more, but I, I was trying to limit it to 20. <laughs> so we had 25 riders. There were no major accidents. Everyone was just smiling and having a good time. I was like, dude, I, I won. Like I'm the biggest winner of the night right now. Like I'm so happy that what I envision hooligan racing should be um, happened. And everyone that was there um, not only got to like see the vision, but experience it. And we're all super happy about it. So yeah, like, like you said, Rusty Butcher always acting all tough, and he had a big smile. All God, long. dude, he just—I never have seen his cheeks bending up like that. It looked <laughs> weird. I was like, who "Is who is that?" Yeah. So and, it, yeah, it just—and then uh, of course the video we posted a couple things up um, on Instagram and Facebook, and it was just—it looked like so much fun, and everybody just looked like they were just having a blast. Yeah. And uh, I did see some pictures also. Of you up there on the stairs, uh, giving giving out the business, yeah. how how it's going to run down and everything. I got to say, man, you promoted a, a. It sounded like it went off without a hitch. So you promoted almost a hitch free event. <laughs> you got some seat time on your bike. You have an awesome podcast. What else could you ask for? <laughs> and I, I cheat like uh, so. Everyone's like, "Oh man, you do such a good job organizing the event." I have to give credit where it's due. I don't organize anything. <laughs> Yeah. I promote and I come up with the bad ideas. And then uh, this guy named Steve Evans and Chris Ackerman, um, they make it work. Mostly Steve is actually that, that side of it. Chris is the announcer side of it. But um, And they were both super excited about the turnout. But like they bring, they've got the flagger, they've got the officials. Um, you know, They pretty well run everything. They do the lineup and the program and all that. They've got the ladies doing scoring. Like They take care of everything. Yeah. But, um, so I got to give them credit for that. You know, this is the second like big event and not even that this one was big, but it kind of was, but, um, so yeah, this is basically the second big event that I've done with them and it, it's worked out so successful and it's all the weird shit that I've thrown at Steve and he's listened. He's, I don't want to say he's liked all the ideas, but he's done them and they've worked and he's made it organized and that's nuts. Um, and the handicap start idea came from racing. Like when I used to race Speedway, we would do handicap starts. And, you know, when you try it with a new group of guys, you never know how it's going to work. And yeah. uh, some of the fast guys were giving me weird looks when I told them they were on the 60. And I was like, 
I'm on the 62. I'll put myself back there. And uh, I got to say, like, even Spencer, he was like kind of questioning it, but he goes, I'm going to, I'm going to see how it goes. And at the end of the night, he's like, it was a blast. Yeah. And the dude won every race he was in, even from the 60. Yeah. Even with Fast J in his heat, you know, but um, even with Fast J getting a really good start, he still caught him and got around. But so that was cool because, you know, the new guys got a race with the fast guys. And, you know, a couple guys, um, James Garcia, who actually I know he listens to the show because we've mentioned him before. And he said, you talked about me. So he got, uh, he was, James, he was on the 30 or 40. Uh, he's relatively new. Um, you know, he's not one of like the top, top guys, but he's getting better all the time. So he was on the 30 or 40. Uh, one of my teammates, Josh Slay was also on the 40 or 30 with him. I think they were both on the 40 and I like Slay had some really good runs you know, really kind of being competitive and getting around some of the slower guys. And James got out front one heat and like kind of walked away. And I don't think second place ever caught him. I think he won by a few bike links. And that was partially, he made it through traffic quicker. And then it was also partially like he's was running good. So it was cool to see those guys that aren't regular podium guys like Spencer and stuff, but, um, and see them be competitive and, get a win with faster guys in their heat, even though they did get a slight advantage at the start. Um, I don't feel like it was like we handed it to them. Like they still had to earn it. So that was cool. And the, the fast guys, like, you know, one of the guys who was back, I think on the 50, he's a long-term guy and he's been around a while. He said to me, like, uh, it was nice. Cause he had to like, he had to work for it. And he, he even said that it was cool to see guys like, uh, James kind of get out and give it a good run and have a good heat and, and win a heat. He's like, it was cool to see those guys, you know, have that and get that. And then he even said, he's like, you know, for us to be in that traffic and to have to work for it. And he's like, cause like for myself personally, like a lot of times I get pretty good starts. So a lot of times I don't have to deal with a lot of traffic. So it was super cool to like give, you know, even myself that experience again. Yeah. So. And I used to love racing, watching racing that had inverted starts. You know what I mean? Yeah. And part of that, especially like big grids of yeah. of road racers, because mm-hmm. you have to work through the pack. And it is fun to see. It's fun to give those guys a chance. And in the end, at the end of a 25-lap race or something, they were still, most of the guys that were going to yes. be top five were top five still. Yes. But giving everybody an advantage and making it, because if you start everybody at the front and the they break away, especially where your laps like. Was it like eight laps? You know, I think we 10 did laps. six and twelve. Okay, so to see somebody break away for six laps and probably pass people, yeah. it's not that exciting. Kind of boring, yeah. But to see them like have to fight through and yeah. and the other guy to see if the underdogs can hold them off. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that sounds. And I've been like in races pretty where the guys don't break away, but it's a freight train for eight the, or ten, uh, right, like twelve okay, laps. Yeah, right, right. So it's like okay. Um, so this was cool to see the guys have to come from the back. And from what I watched, there was so much passing going on that the people in the stands were real excited that they got to see that. And there wasn't, like you said, there wasn't like one person break away, um, or just a freight train. Like there was so much, uh, passing and stuff going on that it was, it was really cool to see that. And I think the fans really enjoyed it and put on a better show for them. Yeah. And even at the pro level, that stuff gets boring when, Three guys break away. They start a little draft, and I mean, you can mm-hmm. on the bigger tracks, you can definitely help each other. And then, like by grace of God, fourth place might 
a couple laps yeah. in, catch up to him somehow because they're fighting so mm-hmm. much they're not like smooth anymore. But the rest of the guys are just left back there in the dust, and the yeah. camera only shows. And it's kind of like that at a race. If you're watching the action, you have to kind of keep your eye at the front, and you can't pay attention to what's happening yeah. in the back. So to see the guys have to work through the field sounds like it's pretty awesome. I watched uh, Carver win Texas, a rerun of that, and um, it was interesting because if you watch that, the camera kind of quit showing him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it, it's like, for me as a Carver fan, like I want to watch Carver and I'm like, he's out front, but I know that there wasn't a race there, yeah. you know? So, and it, you see that with Mies all the time. Like, oh yeah. If there's somebody battling, if there's like some straight battling for fourth and fifth, that's where the camera show, goes. Yeah. They'll quit showing the front three guys if they're just yeah. like a whole second apart yeah. from each other. And then at the stinking super prestigio, they didn't even show Bauman who took second place because they were too busy focusing on JD Beach coming across the line and all that stuff. And it's yeah. like, so yeah, I like when there's that, when there's something working through where the main people are working through because mm-hmm. then it's going to focus on more of the pack yeah. more of the time and, and it's it's fun to watch that racing taking place and see the skill. Like but it was good uh, so yeah I think it was good for the fans and I think to me the biggest thing was it was good for the riders and it, it reminded the older riders or the more long term I say older we've been doing this three or four years um, you know it reminded us what it was like and then you I, guys contracts coming up soon <laughs> <laughs> like Rossi and it remind and it showed some of the new guys what it used to be like right. like i think some of these new guys are coming in and they're going to stuff i don't want to name names but they're going to these races that are maybe not organized the best or there's just a bunch of money on the line or it's and it it makes everything intense make the pits intense makes the race intense um, makes it kind of messy, makes some crashes. And it, you know, I noticed with everyone that was such good friends or still is such good friends, like when we go to some of those races, there's tension. And I think some of the new guys are coming in and they're just like right into that tension and they're like, oh man, I didn't think this is what hooligan racing was. And it's not. Because it know? was it was fun. I mean, right. it started as hooligan racing. Yeah. And I, I feel now like it's racing everyone's racing. Saturday, dude. Everyone is in everyone's pits. Everyone is having a good time. Like there was so much of that again in the, the atmosphere and the pits was so like lighthearted yep. that um, it, it hopefully it showed some of the new guys what to me, anyway, the true meaning of hooligan racing is. Yeah, and I believe Butcher had a comment on his Instagram page that said exactly that. Something yeah, like, this reminds close. me of how the old days used to be or something like yeah. that, and and uh, had him smiling next to this guy with big hair and <laughs> big features. <laughs> big dude. Is, uh, Spencer is the guy that won. What's his, yeah. do you know his last name? Is Spencer it? is, is Brad Spencer. Oh, okay. Yeah. So Brad... Uh, I'm just kidding around. Don't beat me up because it looks like you could tie me in a pretzel. Not. Brad's a pretty humble dude. He's yeah. just an old ripper, and yeah. and it's funny because like some of us, I mean myself, an old wrestler. Would you a ripper? A oh, ripper. <laughs> and you know, some of us are like, damn it, Spencer's. Yeah, but it's like he just he rides and he's. But I think at the same time, like he's he's still the meaning of hooligan. Like, yeah. by old, do you mean he's 38? No, I mean he's. 50 something wow but he so and brad's he was a pro not as old as me brad (laughs) he was a pro 20 30 years ago i guess his brother was a relatively successful pro um he was pro for like a year or two not really you know just kind of whatever and then 
but what he what he told me basically was he like never really quit riding, never really quit. So he's always kind of stayed and he rides with a lot of fast people. And then now, like I said, he's semi-retired and he rides three times a week and he's on that hooligan bike yeah. more than any of us and just schooling all the young guys. And it's funny because like some guys, I mean, obviously everyone wants to win whether there's money on the line or not. So some of the guys are like, damn it, Spencer. But no one's like mad about it. No. We're just like. Not if you rip, yeah. I mean, it's just one of those like, damn it, I want to win. And Spencer's always winning. But you're like, you can't be mad at the dude. Like he's got it, a half a century of uh, <laughs> racing under his yeah. belt. And and he is. I mean, he's a he's a super nice guy. And with me, he's always uh, he does. He tries to give me tips, and he asks me like, it was funny. I, one of the times he came over, and he's like looking at my bike and my setup, and he's like, oh, I see what you did. He's like, you're pretty sharp. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Before we we're coming up on a break here in a few minutes but before we get there i want to ask you there's something that's been on my mind since uh me and the kids went out to last the last race at paris um mm-hmm. last year that we went to who the hell is number 26 e i want to say it's a california number so it has to be e Wait. and uh, he's in a all he was like in green and white or she it could have been a woman what kind of bike was it on dude it was like a full on like framer uh, i want to say i don't know if it was yamaha i can and it was at the helen wheels event yeah 26e just ripping it around like everyone just slide i think uh came in uh, i don't know yeah cuz there's not too many like pros at helen wheels events yeah well, E would have been, uh, yeah, like a like a regional number. Yeah, you could be a regional pro and yeah. have an E. Yeah. So, so uh, anyway, yeah, I just I wanted to know because I I have seen some pretty good, um, pretty slick competition out there at some of these like fun Hell on Wheel events and, and yeah, there's usually an open class and usually a couple of fast guys will show yeah. up. So. I'm going to find out who 26E is. Uh, While I think about doing that, let's take a a really quick break here. And we're going to gather our thoughts for our next segment. And we may be roasting the bike when we come back. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. So we'll be right back with you fools (laughs) on Creative Writing. Well, guess what? Daily Bikers right now has some exclusive notebooks just like the one that I use to take notes for the show. One features a BMW S1000RR and the other one features a Suzuki GSX-R1000 and then there's the classic Fat Boy one, which is the one I have. They're coming in white pages. I have the ones with like a yellow tint so it doesn't hurt my eyes when I'm writing in it, not writing. And uh, you know what? Go ahead and go scoop one up because they're limited to 50. And if I haven't got one for you by the Solstice Slam, I'll know because they'll be sold out. So I need to get my buns on there and uh, get a couple for you guys. Um, And speaking of crashes, I'm going to let Dan talk about a crash that he had a while back. So talking crash stories. I have one that sticks in my head because it was one of those stupid ass moments which should never have happened. But every year on Australia Day, which is the 26th of January here in Australia, me and about 10 other mates take off and head for the Snowy Mountains, which is, a, 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 you know, it's a legendary piece of road with amazing twisties and mountains and blacktops and you name it. But for some reason, that particular time and that particular year when we went up there, it decided to piss down with rain and it was wet and it was cold. I was wearing a mesh jacket, so I was hypothermic. I think I just completely lost all functionality and capability to ride. And as we came up to the, 
an intersection after about four hours of riding in this shit weather, I turned to the right to look at the oncoming traffic and just washed out the front and went sliding down the road on this brand new hypermotard Evo SP. I just scratched the living shit out of it and couldn't believe myself. It was nuts. (laughs) (laughs) So listen, luckily Dan's lighthearted enough to laugh off his crash, but I would be extremely upset if somebody didn't get me something from Daily Bikers. Check them out now. Like I say all the time, they've got gift cards, stickers, notebooks, coloring books, anything that you could want that's motor-related, and it's 100% made by our buddy Dan over at Daily Bikers, a true biker nut. Happy Australia Day, everybody. In the spirit of the vintage ride, I wanted to give a shout-out to our friends at Icon Suspension. At IMS this year, we met Jeffrey Lowe and Roger Kerwin. Uh, Roger is sales and tech, and Jeffrey's the business development manager over there at Icon. And their motto was, Bicon with Icon. And Roger made a good point. A lot of times you see these old custom bikes that are beautifully restored and painted and got all the right parts on them. But then you look at the suspension. And I believe he said it's a knackered, tattered set of shocks on the back there. So Icon Suspension will hook you up and get your ride back on the road. Bicon with Icon. You won't regret it. Check them out at iconsuspension.com or iconsuspensionusa.com. That's Icon with a K. I-K-O-N. All right, everybody. It's that time. Time to roast somebody's bike. I want to I tell you right now, if you have a bike you want us to roast, send it in. Uh, send us pics on Instagram. You can email creativewritingpodcast at gmail.com. You can put it on our Facebook page. However you send it to us, we'll get it to it get it to us um we're gonna roast the hell out of it and we weren't so good last week i would say it was bike one roaster zero but this week we're gonna give it give Are it hell better? it'll be even better it'll be bike two roaster zero <laughs> so this week comes uh a, a 2006 dyna I'm guessing. I can't even tell what it is because it's so crappy looking but it's coming to us from our friend Nate Bickham and again, this comes from a place of love, a place of acceptance, a place where we're just trying to tell you the truth about a place, a place of hate. Well, yeah, a place of love and hate. Yeah, I guess so. And we're just trying to tell you what your friends should tell you. Nobody should let you go to the disco in rattlesnake boots. And your friends that are like, oh yeah, 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 those aren't your friends. Like your real, a real friend would say, dude, what the fuck? Uh, are you? When did you turn cowboy at the disco? Right. So. But- Knowing Nate, the first thing I got to say is get a hold of Bagel, and I'm sure he could set you up a nice scooter. It would, <laughs> it would be more appropriate for you. All right, Nate. I I got to tell you. What year is his bike? 2006. 2006. Oh, bro, that's totally 2006. It is, because it's 2018, and they make soft tails now that are good. Yeah. You know what? I made up a joke today about your bike, Nate. Uh, a Dyna. And Michael Jackson walking to a bar in heaven. <laughs> I already forgot most oh. of it right now, but this is. Uh, I think that's all that needs <laughs> to have. Right. So the Dinah says, "Yeah, you know, we both had a good run. We 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 both made lots of money for." And Michael Jackson says, "Yeah." 
Oh. And the dinosaur said, yeah, but we're both dead now. And, oh. Michael, and Michael Jackson said, at least that was fun to ride. Oh. Oh. The end. Was oh, that- man. I, I don't know. That's not too bad. I want to revise my evil Knievel joke from last week, too. Because last week I just, I, w- I didn't know what the hell I was saying. I was kind of going off the cuff, thinking out loud, but I really, okay. So Evil Knievel, for his last ride, requested a 2006 dyno with the shitty sissy bar on it because he had nothing left to lose. Is that good? Hey, I'm, I'm sure. di- this dyna, I'm dyna ride it. Dyna ride it off a cliff. Did it come with a free tattoo that says Sons of Anarchy? <laughs> No, that was actually a pretty good one. Uh, well, listen. You this know, one's kind of a, like it may have came with a free issue of The Horse, too. Mm, Iron Horse Magazine. Uh, just The Horse Magazine. Oh, God, where it's Backstreet, just horses? Backstreet Choppers. Oh, maybe. <laughs> horse fancy. That's like your cover-up. You this, think yeah. it's Backstreet Choppers, and yeah. it's really just horses. It's an equestrian bag. <laughs> this came with a, with a, uh, an issue of Horses Magazine. And... Um, yeah, it's naughty horse stuff. Yeah, I love these forward controls. They are so far forward that uh, if you were to turn this bike in a parking lot, they would go right into those lame spokes. Hey, buddy, spokes for real on a street bike? Hmm. What do you say about that, Wiggins? What say ye? Uh, Damn it, Wiggins. We're supposed to be roasting this bike. <laughs> you threw listen, me off with the listen, spokes. Nate. You it would have be a, so much have, easier if you had a fairing. You have a black denim. I know. Hey, uh, Nate. California called. They want their bike back. Listen, you have a black denim Dyna. I get it. Wiggins has a black denim Dyna. Yeah, he I get can't. It. He can't quite roast. I think this that's thing. all they sold in California. Yeah. Listen, they were, they were like Henry Ford. It comes in black and yeah. Black. I'm surprised. You, I am surprised also that you don't have a fairing on it. It's got some pretty lame bars on it. Are those mini apes? Um, that wasn't funny. Hey, listen, when you bought that bike. Was the sissy bar on it, or did they see you buy it and go, oh, <laughs> this sissy, needs, <laughs> this a sissy bar. needs a bar? Yeah. Mm. Is this even working? <laughs> Hello? Like Is this thing on? <laughs> it's like most people would buy a Sportster, but then when they're like, oh, I need to compensate for something, I should probably go ahead and get the Dyna. Right. Yeah, when we were at Twisted Throttles, I didn't want to say anything, but I saw him, Nate, sitting down to pee. <laughs> um. <laughs> Are we supposed to be resting the bike? <laughs> oh. oh, yeah, back to the <laughs> thing. Uh. So, anyways, yeah, I I get it. I look at your bike. You don't have to tell me. You don't have to. You don't have to explain to me why there's only a solo saddle on this thing. <laughs> I get it. That was like the best burn ever, and I totally missed that there was a solo saddle only. <laughs> right, right. And if you look very closely, there's a little Sibian attachment. <laughs> All right. Oh, well, Nate, your bike man. sucks. Damn. I think we made it another six minutes. <laughs> I don't, they don't need to be a half an God, hour. God, these either. roasts are shorter than uh, my sex life. Just kidding. They're twice as long. <laughs> Did I just roast myself roasting this bike? God dang. I think, I'm not sure that's how that's supposed to work. Nate, I could have banged somebody twice in the time it took me to roast this lame bike. I guess what I'm saying by that is... Quit giving me uh, bikes to roast and let me get back to doing my thing. So anyway, oh, yeah, uh, I like the lunchbox above the headlight. That's pretty cool. That's Sing- for going to work. Mm-hmm. Single disc brake. I well, like. At least the- he doesn't need to stop very well. 
No, not with this thing. Hell, if you're headed for the cliff, you just want to keep going. You you want to die as quickly as possible. I think I can see the cups and the tires from here. Mm, I can see the cup in the holder plus the GPS mount plus my uh, Harley uh, Demon Bell or the little what they call road gremlin bell plus yeah there's a cup holder oh look he's got a starbucks card holder there wow this thing really is a california dyna starbucks card oh, there's man. even a russ brown uh, motorcycle lawyer business card holder and a uh what else do californians have i don't know not forward controls. He must have ordered those from out I know. State. God, these these are like even forward-forward. I feel like they took forward controls and put controls on them that were forward. Like, that's what I'm saying. Nate, really, your, your forward controls are so far forward, you might as well just put your foot on the tire like you did a BMX bike, like wedge it in the forks Yeah, there. can you just mount the master cylinder to the front forks? God and- dang. Yeah. <laughs> can you just, like, take that clevis and mount it somehow to the axle... Um, and just have your feet turn with the front wheel. God, that was lame. It won't hit your legs, I don't think. Mm. Yeah, we should probably go to the next one. You know what was lame? This bike. (laughs) Done. Mic drop. You know what was lame? Dinas, but they're gone. Mm, Thank God. Dinas and Michael Jackson's played with the end. (laughs) Oh, man. everyone this is liza from the motorcycles and misfits podcast and when i am getting a root canal or something else really just painful and shitty i like to listen to the creative writing podcast because the best way to fight pain is with pain some good jokes i know jimmy fallon you're hired if you want to come over (laughs) on tuesday nights and help us out here yeah actually I'm sure totally people. Pro bono. I'm sure. Uh, well, Sonny Bono's dead too. Or did we say pro bono? Oh shit! God dang! I'm on the death. I'm on the death uh, truck tonight. So listen. Uh, if you want to help us roast bikes afterwards, after we do such a terrible job, <laughs> we obviously need a little help. So afterwards, maybe we could post a picture up on uh, our social medias, and you can help us roast. <laughs> Help us add to this. We'll get better with your help. So we think so. Well, yeah, we better, or else uh, we'll get sued. <laughs> All right. I should have just stuck to answering questions, huh? I know. God, if you do have questions for Wigan, please send them to uh, Creative Writing Podcast at gmail.com for the time being. I realized that if I made Ask Wiggins at creative writing.com, that's twice as long as just having like Ask Wiggins at gmail.com. <laughs> so I think I might just make a, a separate email on, on the Gmail account. So yeah, if you have any tech questions or any uh, questions about Cardboard boxes, apples, uh, burrow owls, anything like that. Songs by the Dead Milkman. Apples are the best fruit, by the way. There you go. Pears are not so good. Right. It's because pears are technically a giant berry. And uh, yeah, just call in. And it's because they feel like felt. Mm. And you're thinking, of, you're thinking of a peach. Both are both do. If you got a fuzzy, pear I don't like peaches or pears. <laughs> Who does? My wife likes oh, them both. Oh, gosh. They're you had a, stone fruit. You had a baby with that person. Yeah. Yeah. How does that feel? I can put up, if she, as long as I don't have to eat a pear, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. Y'all, this is the last straw. <laughs> 
I'm calling Russ Brown. Don't ever put a pear in my mouth. Yeah, pears are disgusting. And uh, if you if you want to ask Wiggins anything about anything, it it doesn't have to be motorcycle related at all. Most of them have been so far, but if you have any topic, he'll answer it. He'll give you his honest uh, and very spirited opinion. And luckily for you, I don't know much about anything, so right. you can ask whatever. So you, at least you know <laughs> he'll bring you the non-facts. Um, so that's uh, our roast my bike segment. Send us questions for Ask Wiggins. And uh, also, I did want to mention something else. We'll figure it out later. Okay. I, for, I, totally, I totally forgot what I was going to mention. All right. So we started riffing. Right now, we're going to get on to uh, something else that happened this weekend. That was the Women's Moto Show. Yeah. I attended, well, first off, let me just say, I had permission to record that audio. I went to an event at Lucky Wheels on Thursday, which was the the, uh, Give a Shift Roundtable. I got some audio for Liza. I know all of you probably listen to the Motorcycles and Misfits podcast, and uh, that's where she got her insider information. They probably listen to the Misfits, and then when they don't have anything else, then they listen to Mm -hmm. us. Well, they probably listen to like Radio Lab and Car (laughs) Stuff and uh, S-Town and then Serial and then come to listen to us. And then they're out, and they're like, I still have an hour drive. God. May as well listen to Creative Writing. I've listened to every song in my library on iTunes. Oh, yeah, the Creative Writing. So then you listen to us and just know that uh, we are the spies to the industry. Um, So I spent some time at uh, Lucky Wheels on Thursday night, went back on Saturday night for the Women's Moto Show. And I have to say that if the terrorists were to have dropped a bomb on Lucky Wheels that night, uh, almost all of California, Southern California's motorcycle scene would have been eradicated. The only people to survive would have been the people out at Paris. Would have been the hooligans. Uh, the hooligans. And uh, the people that slept in and uh, slept in at 9 o'clock at night. And who else? Um, the people, because even there was people from Texas and Arizona. Like there was a yeah, I know, large uh, contingent uh, of people. Crystal Hess that was out. She, yeah, she came out from, from Austin. Texas, yeah. Moto Lady was out, and she's not necessarily from around, but she's been traveling a a lot. Uh, there was quite a few builders. Last week, we uh, my shout out was for Kill Switch Queen. She had all those crazy mm. Mad Max bikes. The, her bike, one of her bikes, was there. The one oh. with the crazy fairing on the front. I think it was a Kawasaki. But there was also about three other bikes that looked like she designed them there. And then out on the street, there was a bunch more. And I mean, they had sissy bars with like skeletons, like little dead animal skeletons and fur. Like there was at least three bikes that had fur on them and like crazy gas tanks. One of them didn't have the gas tank mount on the frame. It had like a monkey pelt on the frame. And the gas tank was back behind the rider on the where the rack would be. Like it totally looked like out of Fury Road. And I was thinking, wouldn't that be crazy if she was the chick that designed all those bikes for Fury Road? There was a lot of CBs there. You would have been stoked because there were some pretty clean little CBs. Uh, there was a rad MV Agusta there that had mm. uh, the crazy like futuristic treatment to it. There's uh, Crystal Hess, I think, is the one that did the Indian there. Yeah, she had as a uh, scout. Yeah, that scout was pretty rad looking. Um, she came out with someone else too. Yeah, and it's uh, there was a. 
somebody welding. I think it was Jesse Combs who was welding, and maybe it was her I think that it she was came Jessie with. Combs. Yeah, no, because I think Jesse's a California. Girl. Oh, is she? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, there was somebody I doing. I think she's also the fastest woman on earth. Maybe. Oh, right. You're on th- land, anyway. Uh, yeah. Who had that for a while? It was. Uh, I'm gonna. F- I think she's. Well, there's the the girl that did it on the Busa, but that was like on a such and such motorcycle. I, if I'm not mistaken, Jesse Combs is the fastest woman on this land. Mm-hmm. On this Over, land, overall, right? And it's like the jet-powered, streamlined yeah, car. That's thing. this land, right? Yeah. The other land, well, her I'm, name is like. If you're like a pilot, it's, yeah. The other girl, her last name has like two syllables, and I can't think of it. But she's also like. Owns a dealership somewhere. Yeah, that's like for a motorcycle, motorcycle though, mm-hmm. and non-streamlined. Yeah, yeah. I think that was like a Busa. Yeah, I think her 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 and her husband God own a dealership. Damn. I think I know who you're talking about. I it's like a turbo Busa. Yeah, I wish I could remember her name. Her last. But that's name. like two hundred and something. Where Jesse's like six or seven hundred. Mm-hmm. I'm Lori Turbinator. Yeah, I think it's Lori Turbinator. I'll think of her name. It's something like it's it's like a two or three syllable yeah, yeah. last name, and I just it was it was on the tip of my tongue, and then it it went down the salt flats. But um, but yeah, there there was a lot of uh, here's here's the kicker. There was uh, the thing about the show was that Robert Pandia was there for the roundtable on Thursday night. He was there again on Friday night. He stuck around in town just to see this thing through and just to see you know all the stuff that showed up, uh, all the people that came out. Um, there were bikes on the meet. It's on Mission Road in downtown, like right where the train tracks, like you're on the wrong side of the tracks if you're there. It's literally uh, like an industrial area with not much parking. So there were bikes all down the street in front of Lucky Wheels. And then they and there's a lot of construction going on. So the bikes were just parked in the median because there's nobody turning there at night. And I met my friend there. She rode up from San Diego for it. Um, and a couple of her friends were there that she went to Babes Right Out with. And so it was like a bunch of Babes Right Out crews. The San Gabriel Litas were there. The Texas Litas were there. Um, What's well, cool? Because, I mean, it was a show for all women yeah. builders. It was all women builders. And then they had, I know Jesse was doing like a how to weld thing. Mm-hmm. There was someone else doing some blacksmithing. Mm-hmm. It was, the, I mean, it was all women. Yeah. Was there more than bikes? Was there like art show and stuff too that was women? Uh, or? Yeah. Upstairs, there was an art show. There was a raffle and they had some pretty cool stuff. Um, I'll get to that in a sec. Uh, music. The music was uh, all dudes, but you know, when it's a guy's show, they want a bunch of sexy ladies up there playing yeah. for him. So it's a couple totally of sexy sense. dudes playing. And uh, they had a, a moto pinata that was uh, filled with some stickers and some uh, travel size booze bottles. My kid got to go hit it. And I was like, oh, please don't hit it open because I have a feeling of what's in there is very inappropriate for you to see. And uh, so she hit it a bunch of times. They let her go up there. And uh, I have to say, she loved it. And she loved looking at all the women there and and – it wasn't like a crazy thing. It wasn't like a biker thing where there's yeah. a bunch of chicks in like bikinis walking around, some greasy old fat guys with a bunch of tats cussing up and smoking cigars. It was like there was a lot of dudes there, so it was like inclusive, but but everything there was built by women and all the stuff there was geared toward women. And so it was kind of like this cool, like the guys that showed up were definitely there to see what they had made. Yeah. But it wasn't like, oh, you're a chick, you made this. It was like, wow, you... Uh, you made this and your chick, so it's cool. Yeah. And um, so the blacksmithing was cool. My daughter was totally into that. She loved the welding. She didn't like the music so much because it was so dang loud and we were like right up front, but she dug it. 
And then she decides to start walking. And since she's little, she's not even, she's, you know, seven, she'll be eight soon. But so she's this little seven-year-old kid at about hip height to everyone. She's and she's like just like cruising, cruising through, through the crowd. And it got so packed in there. Um, I think that's why I was telling you how many bikes were there. There were both sides of the street and the median. And there were so many people there that it was like being in a concert when you're trying to walk through a concert yeah. and you kind of have to follow the stream of people that's going because yeah nobody was moving it was it, it, you can't tell from the pictures because some of them were taken at different times and it would ebb and flow but when it got packed packed it was hard to move mm-hmm. through there um and so she would just disappear and i'd like hey and i'd have to like excuse me and smash through after her but uh so upstairs they had some really cool stuff for auction um a lot of it was like run of the mill built or uh, you know built well stuff and like you could win some jackets and all this and that, but they had these boots by this company called Earl I want to say, or no I'm sorry Romer or something like that Rome Rome R O A M E I think it was, and they were zero is what the the boots are called, and they have like this Bluetooth sensor on them when you flick your uh, when you flick it the the brake oh. or the turn signals the boots light up too and like they, the helmet they've got that yeah right it's like the brake free but for your feet do they have much uh, like women specific riding gear most of the stuff there I think was general okay um, but then again I didn't uh, it was super crowded and I couldn't get over to see what they had but I, they did I think the stuff that they were raffling was geared. At least, mostly kind of toward yeah. women. Yeah, I mean, I know that so many more companies are starting to do it, but I know one of the early ones too was Icon, and yeah. they've got some pretty good lines for the ladies. Um, yeah, a big complaint used stuff. to be everything was pink. If you wanted a girl mm-hmm. stuff, it was pink or purple, and uh, pink and black, or purple and black, or pink yeah. and white and purple and white. And nowadays, I feel like the people have realized that and, and are. You know, Icon's still kind of guilty of that. I know one of their things that uh, one of the girl stunt writers wears, it's like these little purple and pink triangles. Mm. But it's such a rad pattern that I'm like, damn, that looks good. Yeah. And it's pink and purple. You might, <laughs> like you might get the it. pattern is so cool. Yeah. You know, in the 80s, and uh, I think here again, just a, maybe mid 2000s, it was okay for guys to wear pink stuff. Pink yeah, it was got, a, new it got all hot again for yeah. like motocross, especially for a while. Oh, yeah. So you could probably pull it off. I think, too, something that would be super cool, like, as I learned about the show after it happened, but, um, and I know that Liza listens to us, but it would be super cool, I think, because it was at a DIY garage. Right. Lucky Wheels is LA's probably biggest DIY garage, and I I looked at it on a map. It's not actually that far from the the one in Eagle Rock that we talk about, Moto Republic. Mm -hmm. It looks like it's a couple miles, Mm -hmm. but in that traffic, it might be two hours. Yeah. If you're not on a motorcycle, it's two hours. If you're on a motorcycle, it's (laughs) about eight minutes. (laughs) But with, you know, with Liza running Recycled Garage and kind of the main or most educated probably mechanic being Emma, Mm -hmm. and then probably what, 50 or more percent of the people that go to the garage and are either hang out or and or on the podcast are women, Mm -hmm. like it would be cool to me to have... Like it's super cool to like show women how to weld and show them how to do blacksmithing stuff, but um, it might be cool to let people know that there's a podcast that, to me, it doesn't really focus on women, mm-hmm. but it has a lot of content yeah. for women um, and badass writers. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like, and Liza, I know that she. It doesn't matter that Jocelyn's a woman; she'll kick most people's ass, right? On that thing. <laughs> so, and I think Liza was talking to me today about uh, the 
they're going to the uh, AMA Vintage Days again this year, and she wants us to go. And uh, I think they're doing a panel, and she might be doing Chickistan stuff. I think she could travel with that. She could come down yeah. here to Lucky Wheels and do a whole thing on Chickistan. So it'd be cool to see, like, like either one. Maybe they bring a couple of their bikes down that aren't built. Quote. I'm doing air quotes. If you can't see that in the I can on the, see that on the radio, <laughs> that aren't built bikes, but they're bikes that they've fixed and repaired. And I know that like Emma's got a water buffalo, you know, so they could bring down a couple like a water buffalo in in not rusted out condition. Anything better than that's pretty well a show bike. Like it's yeah. kind of a rare. So like I think they could be involved a little bit and be invited to the show as showing, even if they just do a little thing, you know, just kind of of what the garage deal is but yeah and for sure lucky wheels plays into that whole thing that the recycle garage is about yeah. getting old bikes back on the road yeah. uh, and, and, and if your bikes broke down it doesn't even have to be old but if it's broke down yeah. you fix it so many people showed up in fact i wasn't kidding when i said like if you dropped a bomb you would kill half of socal's like motorcycle population there was a ton of people there industry people as well um girl on a moto podcast was there and i i bumped into her and said hi i kind of helped her with some technical glitches to help her get going but it was so much fun in fact that uh, the the popo showed up and shut it down moments after i left like literally probably like five minutes after i bailed uh a few cop cars the helicopter the whole deal they came and they saw a bunch of bikers taking yeah. over mission street and they kind of freaked out a little bit i think and uh when they realized it was a women's moto show and it was getting put on i don't know if they had all the licenses and all that stuff that they were supposed to but i mean the bikes were cars could barely get through so at that yeah. point they were like oh we got to come in and shut it down so they closed off the street and uh, a couple of uh, California's finest went in there and, and uh, put the kibosh on everything, but it turned out to be all smiles after they realized what was going on. And I have to say, if you're going to be in the area, um, check it out next year because it was it was a hell of a lot of fun, totally family friendly, and uh, possibility to win some cool stuff on the raffles but not only that just to see what rad bikes from from the crazy like experimental racer bikes to the cbs that you would have loved there was a i think two or three of them there awesome triumphs some cool bmws and none of them had rear fenders so i mean totally <laughs> right with all the uh, the latest trends and uh we're going to take a quick break real quick because we're coming up on an hour. But one last bike I want to mention that was there for Snap-A-Tap, Rostin, was an Alta. They had an Alta oh. Supermoto. Wait, did it? Was it a Supermoto? It might have just been a dirt bike. I and, think the uh, Supermoto is the only one that's street legal, isn't it? Or is the dirt bike street legal too? I don't know. I don't huh. think it was street legal. But they had an Alta <laughs> there with uh, some custom graphics just for the show. Oh. And I thought that was pretty cool. I think, nice. I think J-Rod from uh, Instagram, J-Rod Racing, J Rod underscore racing was there repping that thing. And uh, yeah, so even an electric bike made the show in nearly stock trim. Totally didn't look like it fit in, but it was woman designed, woman ride, and uh, woman presented. So there you go. All right, well, we're coming up on an hour. We're going to take a quick break here and uh, we'll come back in just a minute. everybody i hope you are enjoying the show we are at the one hour mark go ahead 
get yourself some little drink of water right now and uh, gear up, put some ice on that butt of yours, or if you're walking around, get ready for another hour of Blib Blab from me and the co-host. Right now, I'd like to take a second and thank everybody over at RP Enterprises for making 2018 the year to live for. RP Enterprises, why, why would you say that? Well, because I've said a lot of stupid things in my time. Uh, you know, you guys have suffered through 106 episodes of it now. And RP Enterprises has this unique product called the Lobotomizer. The Lobotomizer is a discreet uh, self-adhesive scar. And uh, it's, it's, you know, like play makeup. What, what happens? You say something dumb. Maybe you're at a party. Maybe you're at work even. Uh, and nobody's noticed your forehead before. What, what happens? You, you say something real stupid. You're digging a hole. It's almost like you've gone like on a crazy Twitter rant and you're the president of the United States. What you do... You go into the bathroom, go into a phone booth, do whatever you got to do, but you slip the self-adhesive scar onto your forehead and you come back out with that dumb look that you always have on your face anyway, and everybody excuses your, uh, what are those called, your transgressions. That's the word I'm looking for. And the RP Enterprises, without them, I wouldn't have got away with saying half the dumb stuff that I've said in my life. I've used that thing so many times uh, I just can't thank you enough, Rex Panther, for creating such a great product. All right. Thanks for sponsoring the show. Let's get back to it. All right. We are back. I hope you enjoyed that break because we certainly did. Talking, we were talking a little bit about the uh, women's moto show and, and some of the bikes there. I personally, my daughter took a lot of the photographs with my camera, and so they're all from this really unique perspective, which is up. <laughs> like most people are too short to duck down and shoot up, but since she's just a little kid, like all the photos have this really unique. Uh, angle on them and then it was fun to see like what she took pictures of so uh, I'll get some of those up but if you want to see some really cool pictures Wiggins is pulling some up on the Instagrams um, yeah actually you, Crystal Hess that we just right. talked about had some stuff um, it just popped up on my feed luckily with Instagram's new algorithm it was pretty fresh from three days ago yeah mine's been doing that too where it's, yeah. it was showing me stuff from over the weekend I was like why are you showing me this why are you showing me veggie plate classic stuff well, like, I like when it's like you're like, hey, come out tomorrow, and you're like, oh yeah, and you're like, wait a minute, that was over the weekend. Yeah, I that's what I'm talking about. That that happened to me today. That's mm-hmm. I wondered why I was seeing Veggie Plate Classic stuff, and I was seeing a bunch of JJ Flaherty had posted a bunch of stuff happening in Wisconsin, and yeah. I was like, cool, we can post about some racing. Oh, that happened last Thursday. Yeah. Okay, weird. Um, but yeah, that's uh, first world Instagram problems. What about the first world motorcycling problem? Uh, we're going to get to that right now. I We were talking about how I uh, stowed away into the uh, rafters of Lucky Wheels Garage on Thursday for the Give a Shift uh, roundtable. It wasn't really a roundtable. It was a happy hour. What it is is uh, Robert Pandya. If you don't know who he is, um, look him up on LinkedIn or uh, you can look up Give a Shift on Facebook. If you've gone to the shows or you've been in the industry uh, you've seen him around. You know who he is. He used to be the spokesman for the IMS show, and he traveled with them. And uh, then he went on to work for Indian, and I believe he worked for Triumph briefly. Um, he said he worked for Indian and Victory for the last that's like, right. it 10 was, years. It was Victory. It wasn't Triumph. It was Victory. That's right. And uh, so, and you know, I'd seen him. I'd 
at the Catalina Grand Prix, and I was like, oh, this guy's the real deal. He's not just a spokes guy. He's not just a media guy. He's a real deal. Heard an interview with him on Motorcycle Men and Forever Two Wheels, which is a podcast that I rarely listen to, but when I did, he was on it, and he had a lot of great stuff to say. Turns out he's an avid writer and as well as a marketing uh, personality and an industry personality, he's also somebody that stepped away from motorcycling uh, for a couple years now that he's you know made all his money and done all the good stuff for all the uh, the brands that he's worked for and partnered with. And now he came back after a couple of years and he's like, whoa, something's going on. There's a lot of doom and gloom talk about the industry. I'm going to admit I'm guilty of it. Uh, over the over the last two years, I've been talking about how Harley Davidson has been closing. Um, well, Buell happened, Victory happened, and Harley happened, and yeah. Buell and Victory are no more. And I, I I just keep reporting on Harley because they're still extant, but they you know they were cutting uh, production, they were uh, fudging numbers uh, out the door, and then shoving it into the dealerships, and, and they were re. Re, uh, what were they doing? They were, they were said we're reallocating money for marketing from production. A lot of weird stuff happening that to me even was a key indicator that something's happening in the industry. And I didn't want to get all doom and gloom, but I think I started to. When you when you read those headlines, if it bleeds, it leads. You know that's the classic tagline for the news. If it's horrible, people will read it and it'll get ratings, and uh, people will come back to read more. And but it's also not all fake, uh, and it's not all. Um, I mean, it's not a fabrication. I mean, sales are down for certain companies and certain countries, and so that's what Robert came back to. Uh, he came back to all this doom and gloom and articles saying that the motorcycle industry is dying and millennials aren't riding and this and that and this and that. So he got together a roundtable of people at this year's IMS and. I think he, I forget how many people applied that he said applied, but he ended up like narrowing it down to 25. I think it was like out of like 100 or like 50 or something. He narrowed it down to 25 industry bigwigs and uh, influential companies and people and got them together to sit around and talk about the, the issues facing the industry. They created a website, if you want to go check it out, it's motogiveashift.com, and he's got free reports, free transcripts, uh, free um, basically like outcomes and initiatives that he's trying to do as an avid motorcyclist, as a spokesperson for the industry. He says basically it's up to us to get it done. And if you listen to this week's Motorcycles and Misfits, they actually interviewed Robert and uh, he could tell you in person what you know what his uh, focus is on the industry. But also I was listening to the Two Enthusiasts podcast, episode 69, and they had read his reports and broke them down, did a very good job of you know talk, speaking to the issues on that. And really quickly, I just wanted to say, here's a couple of the things that I got, a couple of take takeaways. The AMA, I think he was the marketing manager for the AMA. I forget um, what his title was, but he said that, you know what, right now we're hearing all this doom and gloom stuff. A lot of it is US centric. Of course, the rest of the world, motorcycling is your form of transportation. And when we look at Harley Davidson selling two hundred thousand uh, models, you know, and it's down from three hundred thousand last year, or the two years before, 
Uh, Royal Enfield sells like six hundred thousand, half a half a million motorcycles every year in India, and Honda or Hero Corp and, and other like Bajaj and, and companies that are like uh, specific to Asia and India and and Eastern Europe. Those guys are selling like half a million. Almost a million, uh, you know, the numbers are outrageous. So when you hear that, you know, Harley only sold 200,000, you got to realize that that was already a small number globally compared to some of these other companies that are giants. And we always think of Harley Davidson being 50% of the motorcycle market. And I think that that's why when I report on them, I those are the numbers I focus on. It's, and it's because they're not 50% of the motorcycle market. They're 50% of the over 900cc uh, road bikes in, a, in the US. And that's why it's such a big deal. And of course, they're one of our American companies that have been around forever and uh, basically have been, you know, Indian has come and gone. Um, BSA, Crocker, Triumph, even all those that are still around in some capacity in Norton um, have come and gone. And basically, you know, it's hard when, when your company that's been around since the beginning and has never gone away starts to, to starts to falter, but they've been at the top of the pile. And when you're at the top of the mountain, there's really only one way, you, unless you're going to start piling rocks and making a new mountain, there's really only one way you can go. And so the doom and gloom starts and everybody's afraid that the sky is falling and this and that. So it's interesting when they actually printed out some sales numbers and he said, you know what, if you cross out the spike in the mid in the beginning of the eighties to the mid eighties, and you cross out the spike that happened like from the from two thousand to like mid to late two thousand when the housing bubble crashed, he's like, These are two bubbles that hit the industry. And if you put a ruler across the graph to cross those spikes when people were getting free money and you know the economy was like way crazy and uh the Actual motorcycling is kind of improved, and it sh- and it should it should match the um, the population. And baby boomers right now are the biggest uh, you know biggest demographic, and so that's who owns the most motorcycles. And it kind of made sense. But the thing that they're worried about is that nobody you know that's kind of going to change here. And I think that's the the elephant in the room is that it's not always going to be like this. And the doom and gloom is this like the canary in the coal mine where we're going to start seeing motorcycle sales slip. We're going to start seeing, you know, with autonomous vehicles and other stuff like this happening, we're going to see the downfall of motorcycling and the fact that uh, people aren't getting into it with kids and stuff. So one of the things he brought up was that the used market right now is three to one. So actually, motorcycle sales uh, are looking down. But when you consider for every bike that you're looking at on someone's piece of paper, there's really, in the real world, three bikes being sold that aren't being reported because they're not new. That's pretty damn good. And that goes right into what Chris and I were saying about the DIY thing and the whole DIY movement and how garages like this are popping up all over. And it's great. I mean, that's a great indicator that people are actually are interested in motorcycles, just yeah. not these, you know, twenty, thirty thousand dollar. When you can buy a motorcycle for what you can buy a small family car for, I think you know, personally for me too, like some of the new bikes are kind of cookie cutterish, and a lot of people are wanting the old bikes. Whether it's, I mean, you know, we go back to in the states, motorcycling is a luxury. 
Mm-hmm. Not everyone wants a brand new bike. They want something with some character and some personality. And mm-hmm. honestly, it's so many of the new bikes don't have it. You know, mm-hmm. I've said on the podcast before, like Hondas are boring lately. And I, I stand by that so far, you know, and it, I mean, I, I think that's kind of part of it. I think maybe, you know, and everyone tries in air quotes again, but you know, everyone tries to come up with like the latest and greatest, but I feel like sometimes the focus, like the designers, the people that are passionate about motorcycles that are in your designing departments are so restricted. And then when it comes out from production, it's such a focus from the bean counters and not the motorcyclist that who are you trying to sell a motorcycle to? Are Mm -hmm. you trying to sell a motorcycle to someone that either already rides a motorcycle or someone new coming into the motorcycling industry? Or are you trying to sell a motorcycle to another bean counter? And it's like, you know, I mean, value is part of it, but there's so much more, I think, to automobiles and motorcycles in general. But I think motorcycles more so than automobiles. Like, people buy cars for convenience, for how many members of the family they have, for safety, um, for commuting, and for... I mean, to pull a random made-up statistic out of my rear, 90% of the people don't really care what their car looks like. Like that's like at the bottom of the list. Like, yeah, they want it to look good, but they're not like car people. Like we all know people that drive cars to get back and forth to work and that's it. And people, then, people drive Priuses and those things are ugly as sin, you know? <laughs> exactly. And I mean, you know, I mean, being motorcyclist, um, I think a more general thing is most of us are gearheads. Like most motorcyclists, like and enjoy cars also and we don't have the time or funds to do both um so we kind of pick one and at least for myself that was obviously motorcycling but i think it's being a gearhead and being into that but i feel like in the motorcycling industry that's a small part or sorry in the car industry that's a small part of the industry like so many people go to the dealership and they're like okay i wanted to have these safety features and i wanted to have this gas mileage and i want to spend this much money and then if you're in a more wealthy you're like okay i wanted to have these luxuries but that's really it like you let the automotive industry determine what a cool car looks like and i feel like in the motorcycle industry it's flipped there's very few people that are like, okay, I want to get back and forth to work. I want this kind of gas mileage. Or if you're going to look electric these days, you know what I'm saying is like the motorcyclist, you go buy a motorcycle and you want whatever, and it's kind of up to you, you know, but you want something that looks cool, that does these certain things that aren't just get me back and forth to work safely. You know what I mean? Like you're going to go buy a sport bike to take to the track. You're going to look at brakes and horsepower and weight um, and styling, um, you know, or if you want a naked bike or even if you're commuting, I just feel like you're going to be more critical of the motorcycle and not just it's like what it does for you where a car, it's like, I need to go back and forth to work. I need it to have these airbags. I need, you know. Yeah. This kind of stuff. And it's funny to me that the biggest, one of the biggest bubbles, and, and you know, we were in 1985, which is when the report starts, the sales uh, f- 
graph starts, they were selling even more motorcycles than they were at the peak of 2006, and then it started to slide in 2007 as the economy slid. So what I see there is that we have you know bikes reaching this new era of like the JDM the or the I'm sorry the UJM the universal japanese motorcycle where they where you were talking about the CB750 had come out and that was like a new new crazy mm-hmm. thing where for a long time motorcycles were cookie cutter up yeah. to a certain point the industry was starting to go bad uh, you know Japan was coming in with all sorts of stuff. And then all of a sudden, we get these fast motorcycles. We get good racing. We get stuff that's exciting to people. And it's funny that they say the millennials, you know, a lot of people blame millennials, but millennials technically, I think, are people born like in mid, like 84, I think. I'm not 100% sure, but I think it's. I think when I looked, it's like even a little bit before that. So maybe like, I 80? think I'm at the very oldest end of millennial. Right. So like maybe it's 80. Mm-hmm. I know it's people born in the 80s. And yeah. raised like in the in the nineties and two thousands, and that's actually when motorcycling started to spike. And I think it's also when the custom, you know, going back to your point about people don't want a cookie cutter bike. That's also the years that eighteen thousand custom chopper shows were on TV. When yeah, I mean, you think about one of the th- reasons, and Harley fought it for a long time, and I feel like they finally embraced it, or at least for now they embrace it. Um, one of the things I think that helped the Harley industry was. This is going to sound really bad, but in a way, off the showroom floor, they suck so bad. But it's a canvas. It's an easy blank canvas, and people make plenty of paint for it. Yeah. You know, you can go get the bars you want and the exhaust you want and the wheels you want. And for the Japanese bikes, it really doesn't exist the same. Yeah. Um, Yeah. One of my buddies at work actually used to make that same complaint to me, and he said, you know, he, he drove a... Or he drove. He rode a CBR, like a CBR 600 or something like that for the longest time. Then he got like an FJ09. And then, uh, you know, he had gone through like sport bike to sport tour and this stuff. And then he dropped and went to a a Harley, a Softail Slim. And he was saying how bad, you know, everything is on every motorcycle. And I was like, listen, they make motorcycles to a price point, they make them for. People from five foot tall to six foot eight to ride, and the aftermarket exists, and people wouldn't have jobs in the aftermarket. Yeah, if uh, you know, if motorcycles came perfect from the factory, there's a lot of doors that would close and avenues that would be uh, shut off if bikes were perfect right out of the factory. But I think that's one thing that's a testament to who buys motorcycles. Like that's one of the reasons the Harley industry is so big. Um, or I should actually not even say the Harley industry because that's including the aftermarket, but like Harleys are so big is people can make them their own. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a lot of motorcycle consumers want their own bike. They don't mm-hmm. want the same bike their neighbor has. Yeah. Well, I, to that point, where after complaining about like how every bike that he ever had was like lacking in one area or another, as soon as he got that Harley, he every paycheck, I guarantee yeah. he's dropping some stuff on it. The first thing he did was go out and change something on it yeah. with no complaint. Like, oh, dude, I got yeah. this and now I'm customizing it. And it's like, but if you have like a Subaru Outback and your neighbor has an Outback and it's exactly the same, it doesn't like affect you. Mm-hmm. But if you have like a brand new Harley and your neighbor has a brand new Harley, yeah. you're going to make it different. Yeah. Like, 
Yeah, bars, like seats. Uh, he did like all that. You know, he did. And I think one of the things that he kind of talked about in his report and listening to uh, the speech from last week, like those are almost the people that we need to market to. So it is like kind of changing that a little bit. But, you know, I, I think you can't lose on why people bought motorcycles anyway. You mm-hmm. know, and it's, and it was cool. He was talking about like the benefits. Like everyone talks about the, negative side of riding motorcycles and let me tell all you the scariest thing i do on two wheels is ride a pedal road bike yeah oh yeah like that scare and it's funny because everyone all my friends and family are like oh, i can't believe you ride. well not my family because a lot of them ride motorcycles but i don't know like close other family and stuff and they're like hi oh, motorcycles are dangerous and i'm like but you don't care that I ride a bicycle? Every time I take my kids out to ride bicycles, I have this fear in me that yeah. I, I wouldn't have if they were geared up on the back of the bike with me. So it was it's interesting because he's like, you know, people need to talk about the positives and, and the family experiences and stuff like that. And yeah. for me, like some of my earliest childhood memories were being on a motorcycle mm-hmm, mine or, too. or involved motorcycling. So getting run over by him, <laughs> like all sorts of rad stuff. Oh yeah. Five of the five takeaways from the from the roundtable um, were number one: increase large scale and individual tactics to increase motorcycling's desirability. Chris and I just talked a whole bunch about why it's not desirable. It's because perception people perceive it as dangerous. People perceive it as you know not cost effective. People perceive it as toys. People per- or leisure stuff, and people perceive the economy. It, it, truly, it did go down for a while, but I don't think they they see it like you're not getting free money anymore. People learn their lessons. Bankers learn their lessons, and, and investment companies learn their lessons, well, th- and they're not going to hand it out I anymore. I think if you look at some of that data too, when it started, you know, they talk about the price of bikes being on par with inflation. Mm-hmm. But if you think about the 50s, 60s, 70s, and into the 80s, into the 90s started to fade pretty heavily in the 2000s and is really pretty well gone with single income households. Mm-hmm. So as a household in general, you were able to have one income and support a family. A lot of times and still have extra money for motorcycles and things like that. So if your other worked part-time, a lot of times it was all extra spending cash. Mm-hmm. Um, today that's not the deal, man. Yeah. If you have kids at all, like, Unless you're, if you're not just a blue collar, I mean, even if you're an engineer or something, even if you're a doctor, a lot of times, like both spouses work full time basically to get by. Yeah. I've noticed that obviously housing has gone up like quadruple fold what it used to be. Well, and we're in California, so it's uh, well, a hard, okay, yeah, that's, that's a real hard one. To- <laughs> that's true. Yeah, I I'm guess I'm going from a California perspective like this report. It's going off a U.S. perspective, but you have to make that cheddar in order to afford that house and drive that Tesla. You know what I mean? Like you have to make that money to afford that lifestyle that goes along with that occupation, which is never going to happen, especially in California, but also never going to happen on a single income. You know, it just, it what it used to do to your bank account and yeah. your standard of living, and I'm including purchasing new motorcycles as standard of living, was it, it used to be basically almost half of your income. One person's income was 
basically free spending money. Yeah. Whether it was for vacations or for whatever. So your your main breadwinner would pay the mortgage, pay for the groceries, pay for the car, cover the insurance. And then if your significant other worked, it was just, it was bonus, you know, Mm -hmm. it was extra. It was Mm -hmm. whether, you know, whether it was saving extra for retirement or buying in this case, buying that new motorcycle. So, right. And there was less video games around, almost none, like in the seventies, uh, Atari kind of didn't count because it was so boring. People wouldn't play it all day. Like they will games. Now there was no smartphones to get you to sit down and, uh, just stare at a screen. And Mike Matthews from the Muscle for Life podcast says this all the time. Why is it so hard for people to work out? Because they, instead of paying people to train you how to be more effective as a human being, they actually pay people millions and millions of dollars to figure out how to what to present you via what algorithm to keep you clicking that page more yeah. like Facebook and now Instagram's doing it. Why do you think they have these crazy algorithms? People think them up to keep you hooked on and, and playing candy crush and all these little games. They don't just come up with those and be like, Hey, look at this. People spend hours figuring out what triggers the human brain yeah. to keep you doing this. Now people didn't do that sort of evil shit back like in the seventies and eighties on that level because we didn't have hand. Know. You got uh, on your motorcycle and went outside and rode. Yeah. They figured out how to do it in other ways. And part of that was selling you a good time. I kind of feel like we're getting back. Uh, they said that there's been a spike in RV sales uh, recently as millennials are seeking experiences rather than material items. So there is that if we can convert that over to motorcycles for yeah, us. I mean, for a lot of us, motorcycles are the experience. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think we maybe we could for that we could figure out a way to augment the RV with the motorcycle so that you can go someplace and then take the bike out on the trail ride. Like there's, a, I, I think they they should look at ways uh, to integrate those two things. You know what I mean? Like Why that'd be great. Like my old man had a trailer to tow behind his Goldwing with a pop-up uh, right. camper. Like <laughs> there you go. You can do a lot of traveling and camping and stuff like that on motorcycles. And I think. You know, one thing they were talking about RVs and camping and that being such a hot thing right now. Like, I think that is something that could be integrated more and more and more to motorcycling. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't know. I think the ADV bikes growing right now is kind of testament to that, of, to what people are wanting to do with motorcycles. And it's take adventures because those are experiences. Yeah. I think you have to get people out of the drive a box because it's easy to do to have that same adventure and even a little bit maybe more exciting one because you got to use some skill to get to where you're going yeah. not just sit in a box arrive at a destination and i mean i feel like in general a lot of the mentality of a lot of millennials is that a uh, minimalistic experience so you know, they're not going out and buying big RVs. They're going out and buying small campers. Exactly. You know, they're going tent camping. They're not going, they're yeah. not taking a I failed motor to mention that. They're somewhere. not the giant bingo bus. Stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I honestly think motorcycles can play into that pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sight, I mean, it's just there's sightseeing and there's adventure and you're not uh, a good read, a long read, but a good read uh, that has a lot to do with that that was written in the 80s or 90s, 80s maybe, is uh, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Yeah, I think that was written in the 70s, late 70s. It might have been, actually. Um, it has to do with some other stuff, too, like with work ethic and skill and things like that, but part of it is you're not looking through a window 
you know, you're experiencing what you're out of, which I wear a full face helmet, so I guess I'm still looking through a real yeah. small window. <laughs> yeah. But I'm up close to it so I can lick the window. There you go. Uh, so the that's Snozberries. That that is part of you know part of the problem, and that's a, one way to increase desirability is to figure out what's working and include motorcycles with that. The second takeaway is to outline challenges and join the conversation regarding autonomous vehicles. And I mentioned this even before you came on the show because people were already worrying about it then. And and I know in my sits episode, which is episode four. I had already mentioned it then as well, vehicles communicating with each other. And autonomous vehicles is just an extension of that, really, and vehicle-to-vehicle infrastructure. Uh, I think last year I talked about BMW's heads-up helmet is supposedly going to have some of that same stuff in it and where it's going to be communicating with the environment. And vehicles soon are going to be talking to each other. And motorcycles, where do they go in that? And there have been, there's not, they're not totally left out, but I think that's one of the AMA's issues that they're focusing on is that conversation about autonomous vehicles and, and, and where our motorcycle technology going to be in there because we're going to be super invisible if not only do the people not see us, but the cars. That I think the cars are going to have to. I mean, honestly, if the cars are autonomous and don't see you, that's on that automobi- mm-hmm. automobile manufacturer. So, you know, I think it's a huge liability if they're if they are looking at this they have to be aware of motorcycles yeah. and cars on the road and if you think like companies like Honda and BMW that own car and motorcycle companies are yeah. going to develop a technology and not put it on one or the other you're well and now crazy. that Honda has the motorcycle that'll balance itself mm-hmm. like how long is it going to be before you don't have handlebars that turn the front end or a throttle yeah. maybe or maybe that's all you have and you have like these handles on the frame and the bike steers itself. It's going to be having to do the same thing as an autonomous car, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's a big thing that's actually, I think, uh, happening right now. And the AMA might be addressing that. Uh, but that's definitely something for the future. Um, definitely going to be something that's real. And whether you believe it or not, autonomous vehicles are coming on strong right now. And we're going to be ghosts in the machine if we're left behind. Um, the third takeaway was to build an online advocacy guide that addresses many segments of ridership, um, ambassadors, Bible for many categories of writing. And I think what they were getting out with that is like you said, the ADV market, it, it's super niche. Like the motorcycle market is super niche, but can we just do like an ambassador's Bible for the guy that wants to get in and doesn't and only has Harley friends and wants to maybe get into something else and doesn't maybe they're turn, turned off of biking because the only thing that they see in their area or with their friends is one style and they kind of just want a, a foot in the door to something else or they don't have any foot in the door and we need to to get be an ambassador to show them what's available to them. You don't oh no, you don't have to just get a cruiser. You can uh go off-roading. No, you don't have to only buy a dirt bike to go off-roading. You can get, you know, a Triumph Scrambler or something like that and go or sport touring, you know. And so they're trying to get online advocacy guide for that that's standard um, and that can help people looking to get into any form of riding so that we're making all motorcycles available to non-riders. The fourth one is the layman's guide uh, that improves the dealership experience for new riders and all the challenges that are faced at dealerships. And Liza and I talked at great length about this. 
I don't know if you you and I had talked about it, but I think we did. Where you, uh, a couple episodes ago, you were talking about how you went into a dealership and asked them for a part, and they're like, "Oh no, oh yeah." When you went to uh, Malcolm Smith, "Oh no, we don't have this thing." Blah blah yeah, blah. Right? And you went right down the street, and somebody helped you. And Liza and I were talking about how the fact that she went into a dealership and she was shooting the bull with this old dude there, and they had a good time. And she said, right upon her arrival, just tell you guys, heads up. I'm here to sit on bikes and check them out. I'm not going to buy a bike today. And she said one dude was like, all right, and bailed. And the other dude was like, okay, cool. And then like five minutes later, he comes up and he's talking to her. And he just wants to know what she, what type of person she is, what she rides, how long she's been riding. They start telling stories. He's telling her stories about his riding. And she said, you know what? I could have stayed there. I kind of want to go back and just talk to that guy about stories. And that's what Robert Pandia said. I ran into that when that lady Wendy from Wheels and Heels that we met at the vintage ride. Yeah, yeah. I ran into her again, and she was saying the same thing. She she was telling me because when they were when they brought that up in the discussions, she said, "You know what? Like, there's a lot of times where people will walk into a dealership, and it's not that friendly feeling anymore. You're walking into basically a Walmart of motorcycles." Well, I wonder. Uh, and I, see, I worked in retail for since I was in high school for almost eight or nine years uh, at a bicycle shop. And part of my job was a salesman. But what we did not do was commission. And although my boss always asked if I would sell the bike or, you know, oh, did it sell, did it sell? But, you know, you go to those places and you get this salesman that pushes and pushes and pushes and it really turns off the consumer. Mm -hmm. And it's like, drop the commission check. Mm-hmm. You know, pay them for being there and doing their job. And if they're not good at it, then let them go. Mm-hmm. And if they are good at it, pay them better an hour or give them a bonus once in a while. And not a sell 10 cars, get a bonus at the end of the month type bonus. But hey, man, I've been noticing you've been doing good. You sold a lot of cars. Here's a good bonus. But take the take the need to sell out. And that puts back in the want to sell. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I can't tell you like how many, like doing that selling bicycles, like either someone wouldn't buy a bike or the ones that would were like super happy and they would come back and they would bring their friends and they would talk to me and they would want to buy from me, but they were happy and they were good customers of the store. Um, and even a lot of times people that did not buy a bicycle, would come back and they would buy something for the old bike or they would get their old bike tuned up and they became good customers. And a lot of times in the long run, then they came in and bought a new bike. Mm -hmm. But it's because they were treated like humans that had the same interest, not like someone where you could make a few bucks. Right. And speaking to Liza, you know, if she ever goes back and buys a, a new motorcycle or even a used one from that dealership, who do you think she's going to want to buy it from? Yeah, that she's going to go to that dealership first, yeah. and then she's going to look for that dude. Yeah, is she going to yeah. look for the dude that was like, "Oh, you're not buying a bike late," or is she yeah. going to go to the guy that talked to her? And even if he's not trying to sell anything, he is being a friend, and he does want to hear. You know, even yeah. if he was just generally interested in her stories. He's making a rapport mm-hmm. and creating what we call net promoters. In a- I think an interesting thing that Robert brought up was we train these people how to sell and then they leave and go to the car industry because they can make better money. Right. Well, as much as I love motorcycles, I also love to be able to afford my own. 
So if that meant I had to go sell cars so that I could go afford to buy a motorcycle because the money was that much better. And, and that problem goes to your manufacturers and your dealerships and stuff like that. Like your salesmen need to make money, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. He said that, I, I forget what his exact quote was, but it was something like, you know what? Like when you're looking at the list of like, rad jobs that people are looking forward to like motorcycle salesmen isn't like one of those long-term goals that people generally have you know what's funny though is like you know how often i'm like fuck i love to go work at a harley dealer just shoot the shit and sell motorcycles all day but i'm like it's commission so i wouldn't want to deal with that it's it's a lot of like those kind of things that i don't like but i'm like i see those dudes that are like older dudes doing it and i'm like how much does that actually pay yeah those people or they've been there forever right but they're still like it, I, I always think that when I see somebody doing something that I want to do when they're older and I'm thinking maybe it does pay well. Yeah, enough. either like, it pays well, you're living poor, or you've got it figured out to where like you are doing this because you love it and yeah. the fact that you love it, people are coming to you and you're getting all the commission. Even like a parts counter. Like yeah. I would love that. But then I think like I'm at work at seven and I leave at four Monday through Friday. No Saturdays. Yeah, I'm not there after four. Yeah, <laughs> like, there's a like, lot of stuff that that I do love. Yeah. So when when people think of how rad it'd be to work at a dealership, they forget that you're working there when other people have off, so that you yeah. can sell to them on yeah. their time off. Yeah, that's the one downside to working. Uh, what you think is like your dream job. Um, and one thing I wanted to add before we move on to the next uh, bullet point is that Tony Wank from the Pit Pass Moto said even he went into a dealership he's been riding motorcycles since three years old he's a motorcyclist but you go he went into this dealership and the attitude he got was like he walked in the dude sized him up and was like how can i help you and it's like a sport bike you primarily sport bike uh dealership so when he wanted a motocross part they were just like treated him like crap you know what i mean and it's another tip that i've always heard uh or tried myself too, is if you're going in to buy a new bike and you know either you got the cash or your credit's good, put on your dumpy ass clothes Mm -hmm. and they'll give you a real good price because they know you're not going to buy it. And then when you're like, yeah, I'll take it for that, then they shit themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. (laughs) If you dress dress all fancy and you put on your Rolex and drive your Porsche, they're not going to give you a good deal. Uh Uh-uh. No, because they're good. If you got a Rolex and a Porsche, you need that good of a deal on a motorcycle. But I'm just saying, they're going to be like this guy's going to make up like that. This guy's going to save the motorcycle industry single handedly, yeah, (laughs) and make up for those last five chumps that I. They're like, we're going to add on an extra fee on there for that commission, right? So I think it has a lot to do with the people that you're selling to, the environment, because everybody says Harley does it right. They have hot, they got free hot dogs, they play music, they do poker runs. And they there's a lot have of haircuts and tattoos inside the dealership. <laughs> they want you to hang out in there yeah, because they, they want a long. They really you. do, and you know I can't tell you how many times like I've went with to a, like a dealership with someone or been like on a ride and you stop into this dealership, and then all of a sudden someone's like, "Oh yeah, I'm, I'm buying a bike," and you're like, "What the fuck?" Yeah. And they're like, yeah, you know, I just, I was kind of looking at it and then they asked what I had and then they gave me a good trade in and so I bought it. And yeah. I'm like, that's the dude, thing. we're just like, we're, we're just like riding somewhere. Like yeah. you, you didn't like, you were, were you wanting a new bike? And they're like, no, whatever. Yeah, no, not really. But, but I'm like, damn. That's a good okay. salesman. Well, and it's part of like, I think it, it shows like what Harley had going at their dealerships and, and kind of still does. I mean, 
you know, so to me, that's super cool. Um, they were also smart. I mean, think of the money they make on motor clothes and accessories. Yeah, like, I know. I know. Like, but, that's another thing is that a lot of the industry isn't motorcycling. And the numbers that they're focusing on in this report is purely motorcycles. And you kind of get to see which I, how much of Harley really is motorcycles then. Yeah. It's, it, these numbers are terrible. So it's mostly motor clothes and farkles and dog collars and shit like when that. I, you know, if you if you too like you go into a Harley dealer and it's just a nice place to be. Mm-hmm. You go into a lot of Japanese bike dealers and it's like the it's walls a are white. Room. Yeah, yeah. It's like walking into a hospital with a bunch of motorcycles on the floor. Mm, yeah, not all of them, but a lot of them. And you're just like, this does not make me want to spend my money. There's no lounge. There's no band. There's no free hot dog. And- and I'm weird because I've talked about Labard Underwood Harley or Harley Honda in um in La Habra off Imperial Highway. And it's to me like this they've actually they've updated a lot. Uh last time I went in, it, like the whole parts department was like opened up to the main floor and it was a lot nicer. But before that it was like kind of bland and it reminded me like being a kid going to the dealerships with my dad that were just like super boring. But part of me like appreciates that it's like this old small dealership. <laughs> Yeah, and it's like you walk into these like huge showroom dealerships, and I'm like, I don't like. I want the owner to be putting his kid through school and making house payments, not like shopping for a new yacht. Yeah, it's the reason you want a hooligan to win a uh, flat track because you want a hooligan to <laughs> yeah. win your your sale of your bike, right? To be your salesman. Yeah, it's always like because you want to know that they're not like some dude that's just raking in dough, making like tremendous like. Uh, you know, top line sales and all that. You want it's it's if they're not making that much, it's probably somebody that has the best interest of the rider and not themselves, <laughs> right? So uh, that's a good point. And so yeah, pay attention to who you're hiring, and you know, make make the make the place attractive at least. People that will, if you want people to want to come in, don't make it a, a, a you know, like you said, a Walmart or a hospital with motorcycles inside. Um, and the last bullet point they had as riders that we can do is to authentically engage more women to ride because yeah. women now a lot of times have been proven to have the spending power of the family or at least guide where with the dual income things, a lot of women have uh, a little bit more input now and a little more say. Um, I think even a lot of like, this sounds super sexist, but a lot like of more traditional families, like the women were still the ones that saved the money and kept track of the money and yeah, like did all that. So they definitely still had some of that, but they weren't, you're right though. Like they weren't the breadwinner. So, well, and now, and, and back and, in the day, if dad said you can go ride a motorbike, a lot of my friends' dads, if they yeah. said it was okay, they would. And mom was like, oh, you guys, nowadays, if mom says you can't even like walk out of the house without a pair of shoes and a helmet on, you yeah. can't. And not, and like, like me and my wife, I'm not going to like, yeah. if she says the kids need safety shit on, I'm not going to like uh-huh. double guess that. I'm, we have to work as a team, right? So, nowadays kids can't slide down the slide without full protective gear. So if you get mom on board with all this and show her how safe it is and her spending dollars and her influence, heck, if it, their, their when I like line what, is if mom rides, the kids will ride. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's definitely true because I think there's a lot of families where dad rides and that's it. And then when you get to where mom rides, if mom is okay with her doing it, then she's okay with the kids doing it. Mm-hmm. If she's okay with dad doing it, but she doesn't, 
then the kids Mm -hmm. aren't, you know, it's... Plenty of motorcycle podcasts have uh, wives that don't ride, Mm -hmm. and... um, that just that's just one more barrier of getting the rest of your family on board and yeah. and obviously you don't ride cuz you want to kill yourself or take your life into your own hands you ride because it's a good way to make friends it's interesting it's fun it's not your same old cage and it gives you a, a new set of skills or if you're into competition and racing that's a whole nother thing like yeah. hell if you like football really a lot you know what it feels like for a motorcyclist that likes racing a lot you can get into watching you would you know what the difference is is that most people that watch football don't ever play football well and most people that watch football don't understand what a sport is so like (laughs) if you're into racing (laughs) yeah the sport of kings yeah you know you know what it's all about um so I, i have to say that that is you know those five bullet points really is how you listening right now can make a difference. And that's what Robert was saying at the end of that presentation is we can't count on the AMA. And a lot of people are, a lot of people, like if you listen to the uh, episode 69 or two enthusiasts, neither of them are AMA members because the AMA, unfortunately in their point of view, is the only voice we have to talk about these issues to people and they are our lobby. They yeah. the AMA is our NRA. Yeah. However, the AMA is not, you know, they're arguing for helmet laws and they're ar- they're not arguing for lane splitting. So they're arguing for to not wear a safety item, but they're not arguing for safer what has been proven by the highway yeah. patrol studies to be a safer way to commute. And I'm one of those like I'm an AMA member, but the only reason is for racing. Mhm. And I, you know, Pandia brought that up too, that they want to change that for one. And he's supportive of the AMA. And I, I get it where, you know, like the the two enthusiasts are saying, like they're not fighting for the rights that we want. And I, I agree with you. Like they're still fighting a battle that should have been done in the 80s. And that is helmet loss. Like if you... Or just drop it. Like, yeah. don't fight for helmet laws. Like, but I, and I, so there's two sides of that. And we talked about this before we started recording. Like, if you let the government take away that, then what's next? Like, mm-hmm. those people in Washington aren't going to be like, well, everything's running good. We could just chill. They're like, what else can we fuck up? So I think, like, yeah, and I'm a well, person like, here, here's what I think Washington does too. I think they say, oh my God, like, all these people crashing. In states where they don't have helmet laws, are going into hospitals, driving our healthcare up. How can we get healthcare down? I think that yeah. they look at other things for to come sure. back at the source. But, but I think if if like as motorcyclists in the AMA, if we said, okay, you know what, give every state a helmet law, let's stop fighting that battle. That the people in Washington would be like, oh wait, hold on, here's something else. Maybe everyone should have to wear a leather jacket every mm-hmm, time, mm-hmm. you know. And I get it. I and get it's like, too. where do you draw the line? And where does Washington? And that's the problem I see is Washington doesn't draw the line. Mm-hmm. There are, well, there are a bunch of people with nothing like that have real shit to worry about yeah. and they worry about everything but what they should worry about. Yeah. Well, and I think that they look for the symptoms. Uh, a remedy to the symptoms, and they don't really address all the problems. And that was yeah. that's my thing with because just wearing a helmet doesn't guarantee that you're not going to get in a fucked up accident. It and doesn't, like, and I I survive. I'm not against helmet laws. I do feel that people a should be able to choose, but I also see like the health insurance and the burden on the health healthcare system side of it. But here's the thing too: like I've seen those half helmets that are DOT legal. Quote DOT legal. Yeah, yeah. If you can't wear one of those. 
then you don't need to be on a motorcycle because mm-hmm. it's like wearing a freaking hat. Mm-hmm. Oh, and there's all sorts of new, uh, smaller stuff coming on that, that's oh, trying yeah. to use different components. They probably have a DOT yarmulke you could wear. Right. So, like, my point is, like... Harley Davidson has DOT bandanas. <laughs> I just saw a little YouTube. Yeah, right? <laughs> so, you need, like... So, to me, like, that argument should be done. Wear a freaking helmet. Like, if you're so against it, wear one of those stupid little half helmets. It's not going to save you. Whatever. It's your head, not mine. Or don't wear a helmet and die if you crash. Like, I've been to Sturgis, and I grew up in Indiana, and I wear a full face. And if I go back to Indiana, I'll wear a full face. And when I go back to Sturgis, I wear my full face. Mm -hmm. Like, but that's my choice. And I do get where I don't think the government should have to tell me to wear it. I, I'm on both sides of that fence, but I also see the burden on the healthcare system sometimes. But I, what does bother me, though, is if the AMA quits fighting for helmet laws and says, okay, you can have your helmet laws, then they're going to come back and go, well, you know what? Everyone should have to wear a jacket. Well, here it, the thing is, is it states' rights anyway, and not all states require helmet laws. Right. I'm just saying, like, they're going to be bored in Washington. And if we give them the helmet thing, they're going to come back with something else, whether Mm -hmm. it's, you know, okay, now legally you can't go out and ride your motorcycle without a pair of gloves on. Mm -hmm. And it's like, dude, if I'm running down to the auto parts store, sorry, misfits, all they talk about is wearing proper gear. I probably just throw a helmet on. Actually, Mm -hmm. a lot of times I throw a helmet because my, I keep my gloves in my helmet. So I probably throw a helmet and gloves and no jacket. But it's like, if I'm working on a bike or a car and I need to run to the auto parts store real quick, I probably don't put everything on. And they just talked about it this week and last week someone got hurt. It's usually from here across the street mm-hmm. down to the gas station type was where most people get an accident. I understand all that. I'm just saying I'm an idiot, but you <laughs> I don't, know you're I don't being always, an idiot when you're being an idiot. And and yeah, it's like I think if we give them the helmet, they're gonna come back and go, if you get on a motorcycle without a leather jacket, then you're gonna get a ticket or whatever, some kind of approved so I get that side of the AMA, and I'm, I, I guess they need to be there fighting that fight. But but for the people that don't want to fight that fight, it's also hard because you don't want to pay your membership to somebody that yeah, you don't think is. Absolutely. But on the other hand, if the AMA doesn't get more members, they're not even going to be around to fight a shitty fight, which is right. the helmet fight. You know what they and, and another thing the AMA was talking about is that they're, you know, they need to be the ones that have part of this like Robert took all of this upon himself. Robert got all these people together yeah. to form this round table. Robert got all these individual people to contribute to these crazy, very detailed reports and like transcripts and you know, sit down and give all their information and ideas of what we can do to make motorcycling not go down the path that people assume it's gonna go down. And why isn't the AMA doing that? Well, the AMA said that they are going to start doing engagement with the Plus Run One program, which is if 20% of us could get one more rider engaged or one person uh, into motorcycling, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. Yeah. And I think that's really good. I was making fun of my friends. They were all talking about getting Can Ams and all this shit. And I was like totally like goofing on them. And after thir- like Wednesday, yeah. Literally, after I went to this Thursday night and I came home, uh, my texts changed with them all of a sudden. And then the next thing you know, we had this like 20 text chain of me like showing them the Nikon. And yeah. I was like, here's the thing. Oh, why would you even do that? Hey, 
And I didn't say, hey, I think this thing's a huge crummy piece of junk. Plus, I if some of your friends get Can-Ams or the Nikon, we'll have a lot of material for roaster bike. Right. <laughs> exactly. So I start I changed my attitude to even though I think this thing's a hunk of shit, or if one of them told me, because then they were like, we should all get Groms. And instead of being like, that's a horrible idea, I was like, well, you know what? Like, I mean, think of it. It'd be fun to have a a Grom squad. The Grom and the predecessor, the Ruckus. Like, how many people got into motorcycling because of the Ruckus? Mm -hmm. Because they lowered them and stretched their little Ruckus. And maybe that was the end of it for him, you know? But maybe not. You know, maybe some percentage of them moved on to air quotes, real motorcycles. Right. Sorry, bagel. (laughs) Well, and that's another thing that I, my attitude changed after I realized that even if they're talking about motorcycles or things that I don't even consider motorcycles, like Mm -hmm. the Nikon and the Can-Am, technically to them, that's a motorcycle because they drive cars. That's getting five more dudes that were just screwing around with me one day and now they're like, wait, mm-hmm. how much do these things cost? How much, you know, now they're yeah. asking me serious questions and I'm going, wow, that's five potential guys that even if I yeah. were to talk them into buying one, one of those guys, a Grom, um, that I've done it, you know, mm-hmm. and I would not have done that on Wednesday. I, so I would say like, I think what I'm gathering from this is, and it's probably not on us two to like help the dealers out, but be supportive. If you have a friend that wants to get a motorcycle, you know, help them out, you know, be that kind of, like I always say on the show and I have people all the time ask me questions about how to get into hooligan racing and what this should I do and what that should I do. But I think motorcycling in general, you know, if you have someone that wants to get into it, help them out. Mm-hmm. I, I could say like, Oh, Contact the show, but it, if you're not into motorcycles, you're probably not listening to the show. So you if know, you like, are listening to the show, talk to one of your friends that doesn't know or about motorcycles, or that's always asking you why you ride that crazy motorcycle. Maybe take them for a ride, yeah, and on back and show them why you ride. Show them yeah. that it feels like flying three feet off the ground. If you show haven't been nuts safe. to butts, you haven't lived, dude. You have not lived, and uh, there's. You know, there's several times that I rode behind my buddies before I had motorcycles, and I thought, oh, this is awesome, you know, yeah. like scrunching your, your, <laughs> your sinewy thighs up against your friend's meaty ass. No, but it, it doesn't matter. Like, just take them out and um, get a, go on a ride and exp- show them that they're not going to, just because you're on two wheels and it's a murder cycle, you're not going to die. Like that perception yeah. thing that we talked about is like one of the biggest, one of the biggest barriers. Um, into getting into it i think and you know, the, for the a other, lot of us you're gonna live so much more mm-hmm. like people are so scared of dying that they you don't probably live. get divorced because you know like maybe that it'll, too. Be, it'll be so rad you won't want to spend any time with your family <laughs> anymore and that can be troublesome yeah or, just be just be supportive i know um and i don't know how we would do it we don't really have like the recycled garage here but i i really like how the misfits and the recycled garage they have like a boxes of used and new donated gear um i think that's essential yeah i mean i think that's super cool maybe that's something lucky wheels could kind of start um i'm sure i'm so sure we could get people to donate to it um Mm -hmm. you know i got icon to donate a badass helmet to my race right actually the dude got to pick out whatever he wanted like i i think that gear companies would be into it too um motorcycle companies would be into it 
um, supporting that kind of thing. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe, or if you guys have any ideas, send us some ideas. Like, what do you think? And it's not what gets you to go buy a new motorcycle. What gets someone new into the sport of motorcycling? Because I think not very many people are going to go buy a brand new bike right off the bat, but I think a lot of people will get into it and then that will lead to buying a new bike. Right. And that brought up another argument that they made on the misfits, which is there are no such thing as beginner bikes. Yeah. Or girl bikes. Or girl. Yeah. It's such a ridiculous thing. And I was thinking about it. If you look at, if you were to average except sportsters. Yeah. And I want to be the girl on the next Sportster. I, I want to get one. Sorry, sorry, Ted. We're not gonna. We're obviously not gonna get to talk about Sportsters in this uh, episode. And Eric, Snapatap, Rostin, we will talk about uh, electric news next episode too. But I did want to say that if you look, probably if you averaged all the bikes in the world out, uh, the CCs would probably be by volume sub two fifty. I'm guessing. Because of most of them in other countries are 125 cc's. I wonder how the 2,000 cc's would have screwed that average. That's what I'm saying. Like, I think we have three. But I I, mean, in Japan, most things only up to 400. Yeah. See, that's why when I think of large displacement, I'm thinking 1,000, 1,200. When I think of giant, I'm thinking 16, 18. Yeah. Uh, seven, seventeen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, two thousand. Like those are giant. And I think useless. Uh, I don't know. I think for this report and this idea, we got to stick with U.S. statistics because I think that's kind of what they're going with. So to me, that is, I would say five hundred to, you know, a big new Harley or a Goldwing being eighteen hundred. Harley's being a little bit more. Um, I think those are important numbers to look at. But I think, and the Misfits kind of brought this up too. Um, the new entry-level bikes are pretty cool. Like the Ninja 300, the CBR 300, um, they're not like that for a long time. I mean, the Ninja 250 didn't change for like 20 years, and it was kind of a slow turd. And the 300s are getting to be a lot better, a lot more capable. Um, Even if you look at like KTM has like their 690 Super Duke, it's a single so yeah, it's a 690, but it's not a big, super ridiculous fast bike. Um, you know, I, they made a Ninja 500. I think there's stuff like the SV650. They're all great, you know, uh, beginner bikes. But they're not beginner bikes. Yeah. What, what did she want to call them? Small bikes. Yeah. Light, lightweight bikes. Lightweights. Yeah. Yeah. And see, that's my thing. I I, I figure that there's a lot of like new. But smaller displacement stuff, totally capable of people, and unless actually, you're like extremely and like, overweight. And know? like they said, it's they're pretty rad bikes these days. Mm-hmm. Like they've really, it's mostly the Japanese market with that smaller displacement. But you know, and even Harley with the the Street 500 and Street 750, you know, they've really kind of upped their game on the more lightweight bikes. And you know, it would be hard to have Harley be anything much smaller than that. But they still. You know, the new street rod is a 750, and it, it looks pretty bitchin'. Um, yeah, I think the Aramakis came at a time where a lot of bikes were small. It wasn't, yeah. it wasn't a weird thing to have a small bike back then. And the, the AMA guy that spoke at the roundtable brought up the cost of a CB500 and the cost of a new 500. And I, I think, in a way, you're comparing apples and oranges because in the U.S., and that's the market we're currently talking about, um, a five 
a 500 is not what it used to be. And yeah. in the seventies, like I have that 77 CB 400 and I had a 360 for a while, the 350 CB, like I feel like even those four strokes, I mean the RD 350 and RD 400, I think were even faster, but they weren't big fast bikes, but at the time they were what a lot of people were riding and that's mm-hmm. why they were so popular. And that's kind of changed. Everything is going bigger. I mean, even the yeah. sport bike industry is wanting to drop the 600 now. Yeah. Well, the thing he was saying is that he took, they were trying to say that people are saying, you know, trying to compare the the times and the cost of bikes going up and how crazy expensive bikes are. Like, is that a barrier to people getting into motorcycling with these like 20 and 30 and $40,000 motorcycles? And he was saying, that if you took a CB550 from 1978, I think he said, or 79, and you looked at the price of it, adjusted it for inflation to today's dollars, it was around 7000 where if you go to Honda right now, you can get a CB500F or something like that for less than five or something like that. So he said well, the, he said it's $1,000 or less, and they have ABS, and they have traction control, and they have... The MT-07 mm-hmm. is a... Badass bike, mm-hmm. and it's seven grand. Mm-hmm. The MT09 is nine grand out the mm-hmm. door. So he was just saying I mean, that those are on par with, uh, and maybe, and you're maybe getting more bang for your buck now because bike technology has got, you know, has come well, a long way and, and got cheaper to make. And to play devil's advocate, a CB500 is probably not Japanese. The modern. Oh yeah, the new one is not Japanese. A lot of them are made in Thailand. And in '78, they were Japanese. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one way they're definitely Part of keeping it. costs down. Part of it, but I don't know. I, but for dollar per dollar, they're saying yeah. it's actually cheaper to get into motorcycling yeah. for comparable bikes. I don't know what a thousand was back then. Maybe they '78 uh, would be. '78 was the year before the CBX, mm-hmm. and I want to say the CBX was like three grand new, mm-hmm. maybe a little bit more. So inflated, yeah. I mean that that's actually, I mean that's like the price of a Volkswagen Beetle yeah. back then. So I mean, inflate that to today's bucks, yeah, yeah, you're probably looking at the same. If not, yeah. maybe maybe you are getting a little bit more for your bang bang for your buck these days. But uh, yeah, give a shift. Check them out. MotoGiveAShift.com for all the free reports and all the free stuff like that. If you are uh, hearing this, words come out of my mouth, go tell a friend. Uh, don't fool around. Like if your buddy, like like I did, like give my buddy's guff um, and I changed the conversation around right after hearing that roundtable and immediately our whole conversation in the group changed. And now I think I have a couple dudes that might want to buy some bikes. And I get think into- it's everyone's responsibility that's a motorcycle enthusiast. Like if you love it, show someone like someone else has potential of it too so you know help them out show them the way and i I think that helps out everyone you know i mean i think we know we're talking about these big companies right now and how does that affect you as a consumer but it's an industry we love and it's an industry that we want to support as enthusiasts yeah Hey, we got to get Wiggins out of here. It's getting late, but before we go, I <laughs> want to <laughs> I want to give a little rundown of what's happening uh, in the next few weeks here. In uh, SoCal, 
uh, Steady Garage, who actually specializes in uh, ruckuses and stretched ruckuses and groms. They're having a garage sale tomorrow, uh, the 20th. They are, look them up on Steady Garage. Oh, do they have a stretch ruckus for sale for They them? might have a stretch ruckus. They might have some uh, have some Harley stuff for sale even too. Ooh, but um, yeah, look them up on Instagram or Facebook for their, uh, I think they're on Meridian Avenue in Irwindale. Uh, check that out on Instagrams and Facebooks. Um, also, the 21st, the Hell on Wheels season opener at Milestone Park. They're going to have some dirt track and TT races. Notice they call it dirt track and not flat track because technically flat tracks aren't flat, you know what I'm saying? So uh, dirt track and TT just to get you uh, ready for the one show and uh, Mama Tried. They're trying to get you some seat time and get you some practice. So that's going to be out at Milestone on the 21st. Uh, January 26th, Dan from Daily Bikers clued us in that Australia Day is coming up. Him and uh, a couple of his buds ride out to the Snowy Mountains. If you ever watched The Man from Snowy River, I'm sure that was probably filmed uh, in the Snowy Mountains. And uh, I hope they have a good ride. All of you have a good ride and, and be safe on Australia Day. February 3rd, uh, the Veggie Plate Classic 2 Hand Shifter Boogaloo happening out of Paris. So we're actually going to add to that program because the first one this last weekend was such a success. We're still going to have some hand shifters, but we're going to have about 12 to 16 more modern hooligans back. That's going to be rad. So uh, I think a lot of the guys like myself and Butcher um, and, you know, that the crews that are going to Salem, Oregon, I don't think any of those guys are going to do it. But a lot of the new guys that were there that were awesome to watch and had a really good time want to have another good time. So, yeah. yeah. So if you're like, oh, man, I heard so much good stuff about the hooligan stuff. Well, they're going to be back and the hand shifters. Rad. So that's February 3rd, uh, Veggie Plate Classic 2, Electric Boogaloo, and Monster Jam. Uh, if you want to sign up, are there still spots? Uh, yeah, there actually are. Email uh, Wiggins at uh, askwiggins anything <laughs> at hotmail.com. <laughs> Send me a DM to SoCal underscore hooligans. There you go. Send him a DM on the Instagrams. Uh, also, February 9th through 11th, the one show in Portland, Oregon. Catch our friends, the Misfits from sunny Santa Cruz. They're going to be up there hanging out. Wiggs is going to be up there racing, of course. I should be at the show Friday. Okay. They're going to so be at both, out. too. So yeah, they are, too. See you. Uh, just look I'll for the, probably be with the misfits. Yeah, they, yeah, you might be looking uh, at steaks and boobers, uh, or as Junkie likes to point out, I, I'll know like ninety people at the show. Yeah, so. you, he'll show up and just everybody will be like, "Hey, man, what's going on?" And then they will just be like, "Hey, we don't know anybody." Um, February thirteenth, what's happening? That is the Monday or Tuesday following that. I think that's when I thought the hand the hand shifter thing was going. Oh down. yeah, maybe no, it's because it was 3rd. January thirteenth. I think mm-hmm. I wrote February thirteenth. February thirteenth. Uh, you better damn well have some chocolates and a Valentine card for your loved one because yeah. the next day is Men Hate You Day. Um, they hate you for making you love us. So wait, right. did they, yeah, that make sense? I might add all that out. Uh, February twenty fourth at Legacy Brewing, Rick James is going to be having art ride. And if you go to Art Ride CA on Instagram, you can see there, he's got like a whole uh, GoFundMe, I think, or he's got like a support thing. Uh, his buddy that he talked about uh, on when we had our interview in December, um, he's actually doing like a little fundraiser for him. So if you go to Art Ride CA, you can see some of that. You can see some rad posters that he's making. I'm going to be there. It's going to be fun. I was going to say February 23rd, 24th, 25th is the oh. Mama Tried show. So the 23rd is Flat Out Friday. At the BMO Harris Bradley Center. I love the way you pronounce that. 
what Bradley? Mm. I wasn't sure if it was Brady or Bradley. I had All to check. Of it. Um, that was my name in high school. I'm not sure which one. I believe that's the Milwaukee Bucks Arena. Um, I could be wrong. It might be the little. No, I believe that's the Bucks Arena. Anyway, it's the uh, Milwaukee Vikings. Yes. Uh, center. So that should be the 23rd. The 24th is uh, the Mama Tried show, and the 25th is also Mama Tried, and should be some ice racing. So if you are in and around Milwaukee, um, there's a lot going on that weekend. Beer, hot dogs, motorcycles, sturgeon, and, and racing. And lots of dudes with beards and long hair. Uh, don't forget to go to uh, Instagram. Go to Nate Illustrate and the number eight Illustrate hashtag. Pick out one of those pictures and repost it, tagging three of your friends for your chance to win your own drawing of yourself via Nate Bickham. Or me. You can just print you off one of me. It doesn't yeah, have to there work you go. It. It, doesn't ha- it could be one he already did. And um, yeah, Hooligan Jesus President 2020. <laughs> hey, I, wa- I do want to give a big shout out before we kick off here tonight. We got I got some uh, news today that our Ed Subias, who's one of the best photographers yeah. in the motorcycling world, in my opinion, uh, so- sounds like he got laid off today. So if you need a uh, need a photographer, man, reach out to Ed. He does he's obviously does it as a professional. So if you can afford him. Yeah, um, photos, videos, whatever. Guy does it all, man. Yeah, and Ed, I, dude, I've taken this guy to events. Like last year, actually, for Flat Out Friday, we went on Sunday and rode on the ice. I took the sporty out, and uh, Ed went with me because we were going earlier in the morning than everyone else. So Ed wanted to be the first one there as far as, you know, the reporting industry side of it goes. And, he, dude, he had a video out before the end of the day. Yeah. We're driving back to Milwaukee, and he's in the back of my truck all quiet. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, working. <laughs> and then he has a video out. Like, people are still out on the lake taking photos, and he's, like, releasing stuff already. Right. Like, yeah, he's amazing. Ed bust his ass. So Yeah. Give him a shout-out if you need some photographs. Uh, Instagram shout-outs. You got any? I do got a... I think a good one. Um, I'm going to go with Broken Home. I always go first. So why don't you take, go go with this one. <laughs> so, <laughs> broken Home Boots. It's broken, spelled like broken. Home, spelled with two M's. Um, broken underscore home if you're on the Instagrams. Or you can get it on the internets and you can find them. They are local Southern California made um, I always joke with them, but I'm actually pretty serious. They're the best boots you'll ever buy. I guarantee if you buy a pair of Broken Homes, you'll never buy a pair of fucking Red Wings again. You can take your heritage, whatever, whatever, uh, rest, Red Wings are so good and shove it. Because I guarantee you won't spend your money on Red Wings again. That's my personal guarantee. I back it with nothing. Right. But I do have like six pair and... Some of them are resold. I've worn them so much. And they last longer. Like, not just the boot itself, but the sole lasts longer. I wore out my Red Wings in like six months um, of wearing them every day. And this was before Broken Home was around. Yeah, listen. (laughs) And they last more like a year or longer. Yeah. A lot of times longer, You can shit in a box and guarantee it. What does it mean? Nothing really, but... 
guaranteed shit. Yeah, but, but hooli- yeah. hooligan Jesus doesn't wear anything <laughs> that it doesn't stand for. And if he stands for broken homes, then I stand for broken home too. And he's also a hooligan racer, which mm. is a huge bonus. Motorcyclist, which is another huge bonus. Um, and you've heard me on the show before talk about things made in the United States. You want to fix the motorcycle industry. Maybe you should buy stuff that's made in the U.S. so that people in the U.S. can afford to buy motorcycles. Mm-hmm. So uh, Buying these boots will let Josh buy another yeah. motorcycle. And I will say, honestly, like they're not cheap boots, but they are on par with made in, Red, made in USA Red Wings. Mm-hmm. They are not expensive. Okay, how about they are not overpriced boots? There you go. So if you are a person that is on your feet all day and wears boots a lot, work boots especially, and you buy Made in USA Red Wings, these are right in your price point and you will be very happy. Nice. Hey, Made in the USA with sweat equity paid for by you. Uh, <laughs> broken home. I'm going to call and see if he wants to use that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm going to... We, we got to get you out of here, Wiggins. You're going to turn into a pumpkin oh, here pretty soon. And before everyone asks, he will do steel toes, but they're custom order. But yeah, there you go. That's all you need to know. Broken home. Uh, boots. Brokenhome.com. Uh, mine is uh, XTR Pepo. This is coming to you from Pepo Rosell. He's in Madrid, Spain. He's a bike constructor. And uh, XTR Pepo, one of the better Instagrams I've run across. It's like the it's like the uh, antithesis of your fuck your bike sucks. It's like wow, every bike on here is pretty cool. That thing's pretty awesome. Yeah, there's a couple on here where he takes a stock bike like the Ducati Scrambler. I don't. There's a couple where it looked just as good stock as what he turns it into, but. Uh, everything that he does on here is pretty amazing. And uh, there's a lot of good ideas for your bike build. And Wiggins and I got too uh, wrapped up in our emotions and talking about AMA and, and uh, getting people engaged in motorcycling to get into the build this week. But uh, he's got some good looking stuff. Dude, he's got some great looking stuff. And so next week when we get into the build, uh, Ted will bring up the uh, the Harleys for you. Uh, snap a tap we'll bring up some electric bikes for you and for the rest of you we will roast chris singsheim's drz 400e and uh bring up some more of the build and in the meantime go to xtr pepo to find out uh get some good eye candy for yeah, it's ideas for yourself super rad little like late cafe era ish kind of like, is that your sign off that's my sign off <laughs> bye <laughs> <laughs>